Hey guys, brand new podcast. Two hours and 36 minutes. Two hours and 36 minutes. That's long. That's how long I fast I ran the goddamn half marathon, Leanne. Yeah, that's yeah. short for that. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I listened to some of Rogan's podcast on it. Listened to Cameron Haynes for a little inspiration. Some of his podcasts because some, they're longer. Well, yeah, because I got, well, I found out listening to a podcast and the best way to run a half marathon. For those of you who don't know, uh, I ran the half marathon in St. Petersburg this past weekend with Jim Florentine and... Uh, and uh, Galvin from the Cowhead Show, Mike Calza Show, and it was a it was a blast. I'm going to be doing more half marathons. I'm thinking about doing a destination half marathon where I tell everyone like a really really cool one, like in Bermuda or in a grill or Norway, and tell everyone, hey, let's go run the marathon. We'll all train together on the podcast. Now, this is a community, you know. I I told so many people about this mar- half marathon in St. Pete. I no joke high fived maybe. 150 people during the race and i took maybe 50 pictures after the race it it was really it was really amazing is that there's a portion of the race where you run out and then turn around and run back so during that whole pace was all the people that saw me they were like the machine b-man bert it was really great it was really fun i had a blast running that half marathon and i'm gonna do more of them i don't know if i'm gonna try to do a marathon marathon after i got done that i texted with ari and joe and them and I, i told them that uh you got to have, it's a different, it's a mind, I think a mind game, a marathon is more of a mind game. It's more of like a... Endurance? There is a claustrophobia that happens in a half marathon. Not, not legit claustrophobia, but the idea that I would be stuck there for another 13 miles. That I, you know, it's that commitment. It's... A commitment phobia? Yeah, it's just, it was really nice. The mar- the half marathon, we went real slow the first seven miles. And then I, and then I just was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking push it. I'm going to see if I can break, break two hours and 30 minutes. And I came really close. Um, yeah, I, I did. You came, it was actually pretty impressive. I definitely could have done it had I been a little more focused in the run. But me and Galvin and Florentine hadn't trained at all. And we had all gotten about a two hours of sleep. And we were like, let's, and my, my calf was hurting, my toenail was coming off. And so I went slow up front. How but were your nipples? They were fine. Everyone, you know, it's amazing the amount of advice you get from people that is completely asinine. Like, Maybe after you go to that like 14, 15, 16 miles when your nipples start falling off. Well, yeah, but I've run enough where my nipples got sore anyway on my treadmill. Mm-hmm. So I know better to not wear a cotton loose fitting shirt or a basketball jersey i ran one time in a basketball jersey holy shit my nipples were raw but much uh, embroidery i i i wore i wore a sweater once i um no i'm joking uh i wore a compression shirt and uh yeah didn't buy new shoes um it wasn't as hard as everyone says it was gonna be everyone said it was gonna be like oh this is gonna blow your mind it was really fun. Good. Um, I'd like to do a marathon just to challenge myself to do it. I think maybe the Marine Corps marathon or something really like really fun. The thing is scenic. You want something scenic. Why is there's the Marine one, Corps marathon scenic? There's one I saw online that's all downhill, like slightly downhill. All downhill. And I was like, I'd love to run that because it is true. When you run in a little downhill, you start cruising. Well, yeah. You can put a dent in sometimes if you run a little downhill. And what's it called? Is it called perpetual motion? Yeah. Yeah. Kinetic energy, Leanne. Kinetic energy? Yeah. Sin- not Stop talking. Stop talking. Uh, that's an inside joke we have with Leanne because I said it to our pool guy in front of... No, you said it to me in front of the pool guy with your finger in my face. Stop talking. Stop talking. Because I'm a misogynist. Talk. By the way, shout out to everyone that was at the Tampa show where I kind of got obsessed with the idea of uh, being real 
um, why I got into this little rant that I couldn't get out of about the idea that if, if, if you call me racist, then I have to be racist. If you call me a sexist, then I must be a sexist and I don't see it. And, and I, and I, and I was, I couldn't get, I knew it's an idea that I couldn't, couldn't get out of, but it was, it was based on the idea that if you call me, if you say I'm a sexist, like you do say I'm a sexist, then I must be, I just don't see it. I can't just go, I'm not a sexist. I know how I feel. If you see me doing that, then the, 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 it was about you calling me a sexist. Okay. A misogynist. Yeah. And I said, but then I must be a misogynist. And then I think what all people heard was I'm a misogynist. Mm-hmm. I'm a racist, I, which I'm not, but I, or I think I'm not. But if you call me one, then I am. Well, I never called you a racist. You call me a misogynist. Yes, I know. Yeah. No one's ever called me a racist, but I said, put that in the pot too. I don't know what I am. I, like, don't like, don't sit up and say, it's hypocrites I have a feel I, I don't like. I don't like hypocrites. And I had this whole rant. And then fucking this girl. I wish I remember her name. She wrote for uh, Lena Dunham's website. Mm-hmm. She's an African-American chick. And she wrote exactly what I fucking said. She, I, w- I remember I said, this girl's awesome. Right. Everything I was saying that I am. You can't tell. Like, you think you're one thing, but you don't know how your actions are received by other people. That's very true. So... So to sit there and say you're not one, th- it was really insightful. If you, I wish I knew more and I could tell you this girl's name, but her thing was, say, you, you, she can see like Lena Dunham's racist. She doesn't know she is, but she is. She's like I heard her say shit. She has friends that say the n word, and she doesn't say it. Didn't stop them, and and it was and it would make me uncomfortable. And like it was really really a poignant poignant. And she was talking about feminism and how she can say she's a feminist, but she doesn't support all women, doesn't support women of color. It was really a great, I mean, I, look, I'm not on either side. I've never been a big fan of Lena Dunham's, but I do see Lena Dunham getting attacked right now. And I kind of automatically go for whoever's getting attacked, you know? You mean you you root for the person being attacked? I root for them to get out on top of I always underdog. do. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big underdog, especially when it's like a witch hunt. And a Lena, persecution. They're going after Lena Dunham hard right now. Are they? Oh, hard. Hard. Well. And, and I talked about that on stage, and this is where all these ideas came up, and I think I offended a couple of people in the damn show. So I apologize if I did. Guys, big, uh, and I'm not going to announce it, but a big 21 City Tour coming up soon. Um, it's going to be in a few months. we got to focus on we got to focus on the shows up into February. We're doing, uh, truck is all sold out. We're sold out clean for the truck in Philly, late February. I think we're shooting the special there. I'm not certain, and I'm definitely not supposed to say that. I do this every why fucking time. Why do you time. do that? I don't know why I do it. I can't help it. Diarrhea of the mouth. Calusa Casino sold out December 1st. Comedy Store La Jolla. Tickets available the 7th, 8th, and 9th. And on the 10th, I'm going to go see the Eagles versus the Rams at the night game. Are uh, you really? <clears throat> yeah. At Rams? At Rams. Who are you going with? Me and Eric, and we're our friends. Oh, you're not taking me? Spokane Comedy Club, the 14th, 15th, and 16th. Misogynist. The West Palm Beach Improv. Women like football, too. 30th, 31st. That's New Year's Eve shows. It's going to be a fucking blast. West Palm's going to be great. I was talking to Paul. Maybe I should come in early. Anyway, Stress Factory, second week in January. Tacoma Comedy Club, third week, 18th, 19th, and 20th, Helium, Portland, Wilbur, second show added, almost sold out. We've got uh, a, a bunch of tickets left, but it's over half sold. Uh, I mean, so it's not almost sold out. Yeah, no. I'm going through some shit. I should have gone to therapy today. Yeah, totally. Morty's, I just got one night at Morty's on the 9th. Huh. Morty's on the 9th. 
It's interesting. I don't know. Comedy Zone Charlotte. Are we sure this is right? And then the truck on the 22nd, 23rd, 24th. And not doing a show on the 25th. And that is tour dates, everybody. Um, my wife's been having a really rough day. Yeah, it's been a challenging day. Mostly brought upon by herself. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Eh, a lot of it was just like stuff you brought on. You think so? Eh, I think so. Arguing. You know a lot of people like this part of the podcast? Yeah, I know. I get a lot of emails on our brand new website saying how they enjoy how we talk on this. That's my first sip of wine in a very long time. It's good, right? It's I mean, pretty good wine, wine that Trace Uvis. Uh, we had a rough day. Leanne did. I got her hair dyed and it was... Much more than we planned on spending on Isla's hair dyed. Uh, like three times more than I planned on spending. Okay. It was insane. And then uh, we went to Universal. We had a great day with the girls. We're going to watch... Um, the Runaways. The Runaways. On Hulu. On Hulu. Uh, after this... If Georgia make... doesn't explode before we get in there, she's so excited. We got Halston in the background. Halston's invaluable. Uh, I love working with Halston. I don't, we haven't done much. Halston and I are going to try to do a solo podcast where it's me in the mornings with a cup of coffee in Halston, running through news, talking bullshit, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna try it. We were gonna try it today, but when, uh, but, but uh, priorities universal. The person canceled. The person we were supposed to do a podcast with today canceled. Okay, and pushed back for weeks. So, so. what does that have to do? Because he, he was just gonna come an hour. He was gonna come an hour early, and we were gonna do that, and then lead into the podcast. But I didn't want him to, have to come over and just me and him do it. Because if it wasn't good, then I would have felt like I wasted his time. Got it. Okay. Okay. Halston's a silent partner in this. Is that? Will he be silent in the podcast? No, he'll talk. Will it just be you talking and Halston going, uh, yes, sir, yes, sir? I talk to you about that, Halston. Can you work on some accents? <laughs> um, How do you work in disguise? Just, oh, wait, it's a podcast. Never yeah. mind. Uh, we, uh, yeah, big things popping. Well, did you say the exciting news about David Allen Coe? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, my God. Uh, got an email from David Allen Coe's manager who said, first of all, heard the podcast you did with Wheeler Walker Jr. Uh, by the way, I didn't read the email. Leanne read it. You so didn't? I, I haven't read it yet, but I know what you told me it said. Mm. So I was really excited because yeah. I've been a big David Allen Coe fan since college. In college, our freshman year, they made us clean the fraternity house. And that is all they let us listen to while we cleaned the fraternity house was David Allen Coe's greatest hits. We would listen to the beginning of the album, to the end of the album. And that is all you could listen to when you clean the house. So we knew all those words by heart to all those songs. Not all of them are PC. Ooh, Georgia heard a... Heard a non-PC song last night and was like, whoa, because it is really not PC, but it's David Allen Coe and he's a legend. And the point was his manager reached out and said, hey, listen to the podcast you did with Wheeler. We'd love to extend an invite to any of our shows, you and all your friends. So me and my friends are literally going to fly out somewhere to go see David Allen Coe one night, hopefully have a drink with David Allen Coe. I would love to get him on the broadcast. I would love they And I think he said he that in said, the email. Yeah. I would David Allen Coe open invite to the man cave. Please. I'll get you a, a can of Pearl. Jack, uh, uh, wait, Pearl. What's the... He chewed tobacco from a mail pouch sack. He drank Pearl in the can and Jack Daniels black. Fucking come on, man. I don't know them lyrics, dude. Sometimes I wonder if I married the wrong person. (laughs) You've said that once or twice before. Drunk, usually drunk. Uh, Naked, standing at the foot of a bed. Yeah, that's usually it, yeah. After having not received something that you wanted really badly. It's one finger. (laughs) (laughs) After this, uh, Leanne and I are going to cook dinner. You know who our favorite 
meal delivery kit service is because they're the number one meal delivery service kit in the country. Are they really? The Blue Apron. I love them. Blue Apron's fantastic. We, I stand by Blue Apron is maybe one of my favorite things I've ever discovered on podcasts. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. If you're hearing for this for the first time, then let me be the first to tell you they fucking rock. They're the reason our family is as close as they are because they believe a family that cooks together and eats together stays together. And I, w- I would have written that off to horse shit until we started doing it. Our kids were such snooty eaters and they would only eat bullshit. I wouldn't say they were snooty. I would it, say they were shitty. Shitty. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, not snooty. Pizza. Macaroni and cheese. Can I get a uh, white bread with provolone? Cavalier's tater chips with my pizza. Oh, like fucking. That. Our children made us embarrassed. Yeah. We had sincere conversations about putting one, if not both, up for adoption just based on what they'd order. <laughs> no, not adoption. It was, it was a um, sleep away, not sleep away, boarding school. Boarding school. Remember when we told them they were going to boarding school? We told them they were going to boarding school because they were fighting so much. And then they started crying and they and they were like, please don't send us away. And we were like, oh. Better shape up. Yeah, but we both of us thought for a second, we're like, we might have fucked that up. Yeah, totally. I was like, guess you can't lie to them like that. Yeah, maybe not. But but they're good now. Yeah, they're awesome. Because of Blue Apron. Yeah, no problem. I, I always say this, Blue Apron duh, uh, keeps the whores out of the house. Yes. Because, man, we got good kids. They love, they call dinner Blue Apron. Isla, we had a Blue Apron waiting for us when we pulled up today. And Isla's like, Dad, Blue Apron. And then Leanne's like, oh, I want to cook the Blue Apron that we have coming up. What Blue Apron do we have coming up? You said it was your favorite. It is my favorite. It is beef and lamb tangine with rice and pitas. And it is so good. It was one of the first meals we got when they started. Uh, when they started sending us meals, and I keep wanting it to come back. And right now they're doing like the best of recipes. I was so excited to get this recipe because I swear it's my favorite meal I've cooked from them. It's Moroccan. I don't know how to cook Moroccan food. I have no idea. I've never even eaten Moroccan food, and everything you know these flavors that you just don't have because I don't know what these seasonings are. I grew up in the South. If it wasn't black pepper or cayenne pepper, it didn't go in. You're making shit like short rib burgers with hoppy cheddar sauce on a pretzel bun. What the fuck? What's hoppy Seared cheddar? Seared steak with thyme pan sauce and mashed potatoes with green beans and crispy shallots all in under 45 minutes without a trip to the grocery store. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. They achieve this by supporting more sustainable food systems and setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community full of chefs. They are offering three plans right now. The two-person meal plan meals that serve two people choosing from eight new recipes per week with the choice to receive two or three recipes any week the family meal plan which is us meals that serve four people choose from four new recipes each week with choices of either two to three to four recipes any week and the wine plan is which we're sipping right now leanne i already killed mine can i have the rest of yours and no then we'll pour you a new one when we get inside no Six bottles of wine from renowned winemakers delivered monthly, and they're little, they're little traveler wines. They're little roadie wines. They're like, uh, they're like ra- li- wines for guy- people with little hands. It's like a four four glass bottle instead of five. And it's nice because you really get to go through and sample some different wines. Yeah. Um, I love Blue Apron. I, it's cheap. It's easy to cook. No meals under over forty five minutes. Uh, no meals over ten bucks per person. And so you can't do that at the grocery store. No. And a lot of their meals are 30 minutes or less to cook. And all the recipes are fresh, different, and diverse. And you'll, they'll introduce different food 
uh, flavor systems into your palate. Totally. Um, and ingredients you would never buy at the store. Yeah. Uh, Liam was saying earlier, she doesn't often cook with sesame oil. No. Because you're like, you oh, this recipe calls for sesame oil. And you're like, fuck, now I got sesame oil in the cabinet. But then Blue Apron sends you just a little bit of sesame oil. And you start realizing how great sesame oil is. And now we got sesame oil in the cabinet and we're using it. Right. That's because okay. we learned how to use it. Yeah, because you learn how to cook with Blue Apron. Uh, they're fucking fantastic. I'm gonna, you look, I, I love this goddamn company. I would invest in them if I could. That's how much I love them. Uh, we are so happy to have them as a sponsor. We literally, uh, literally jump for joy when we found out we're going to be working with them again because it's. I, 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 by the way, if if they had stopped, we would still use Blue Apron. Totally, we would still be subscribers, and I'd still probably talk about them. That's how great they are. Yeah, they are amazing. Blue Apron is treating Burtcast listeners to their first dinner, a $30 value if you visit blueapron.com slash Burtcast. So check out this week's menu and get $30 off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash Burtcast. I didn't even tell you about the meals they got coming out. Seared steak and garlic butter with oven fries and romaine salad. Yum. <sighs> Yum. Butternut squash pasta with kale and brown butter walnuts oh wait though is it real pasta or is it butternut squash they've made into pasta i don't fucking know either way it's good roasted chicken with fall vegetables and cranberry and ginger compote and we just got that really yes we just is got that the it tonight one that just showed up yep oh that it looks, looks awesome. good right dude can i tell you what i love that blue apron does mm -hmm. is they teach you how to cook stuff like like chicken breasts, when they give you those that time and the mm -hmm. temperature, mm -hmm. now it's like we know how to cook chicken breasts. I agree. You made you made um, you made uh, uh, pork chops the other day with bone-in pork chops. Uh huh. From Blue Apron. Uh huh. And you made them on the oven on the stove. Right. And they were perfectly fucking cooked because they tell you the temperature and how long. And that's my hard thing is like, I can figure out the temperature, but the how long is the, is the problem for me. And I always overcook pork chops and they're so dry. They're like eating oh, they sawdust. They were fantastic when you cooked them. Thanks, babe. You made those burgers. They, I, <gasps> I, those were phenomenal. Oh, they were really good. Um, this is the one I'm looking forward to. Bramundian mixed vegetables, mixed mushrooms with jasmine, rice, and Napa cabbage. Um, so I'll tell it to you one more time. Sign up for this. Try it out. Uh, if you're a single guy, do the two-person one. You know what a great Christmas gift to give yourself. Oh, yeah. Christmas is... Yeah, give yourself this as a Christmas gift. And go, you know what? I'm going to start cooking. I'm going to make one for dinner and I'll have one for lunch. Or I'm going to make I'm gonna make one for dinner and one for lunch. Or then once a week, I'm going to invite a new girl out on a date and say, I'd like to bring you over to my house and cook you dinner. Nice. And then don't tell her it's Blue Apron and just say stuff like, yeah, this... Uh, all this is uh, by the Sea of Cinnamonary Berry Aquarium. Whatever. Totally, totally. Just regurgitate my read. Go, you know, in my opinion, a family that cooks together stays together. I don't want to raise whores, okay? And uh, so I like stuff like Bramundi. It's like one of my favorite things. I, I, I'm just I'm just a out there kind of guy. I got six different wines. You want to try one? Hey, come on over. I'm so cool. Or get them family meal plan and invite three goes over at one date for one time. And then just... Like, let them audition, almost like you're The Bachelor. Oh, my God. Most Blue Apron is treating Birdcast listeners to their first dinner with a $30 value if you visit blueapron.com slash Birdcast. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash Birdcast. Blue Apron, a better way to cook, a better way to live. God bless America. 
Guys, last and certainly not least, go check out my website, burperbert.com. My wife revamped it. She did it on a little company called Squarespace. And it was amazing. And it, was, it really is great. And it's, it's increased our merch sales. Like insanely. I think people had a hard time getting our merch earlier. And so now it's crazy. We've got machine t-shirts. We've got Burtcast t-shirts. We've got Burtcast mugs. We've got machine hoodies. Hoodies. Want to say it at the same time with me? Yeah. Machine hoodies and they are so soft they are the fucking so i said when i was in irvine i said i dare you to put your hand in it and not fall in love i dare you to swipe your (laughs) and i said that's how i met my wife oh my god um and but they sold out in like five minutes because everyone touched them and were like oh these are fucking nice they're selling like crazy and we are going to pre-sale uh-oh beanies oh these are Cog cogs of the machine beanies. We got a patch. They're really cool. They're blue. They're really fucking awesome. They're awesome. They'll uh, we'll have them in like a week. So, you, but we're gonna put them up for for pre sale tonight. And uh, and so check out the website. If you have any questions, if you want to give any, Leanne any notes, just go to uh, <laughs> email me at that thing. Did we talk about David Allen Co already? Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. Um, George's GoFundMe is uh, GoFundMe.com slash troop. One three three seven six silver award. That is for her water fountains at school. That's her Girl um, Scout silver award project. You gotta, go, you gotta go back a couple podcasts. They did an intro with me. It was really cute. They're it's adorable, really funny, but, and uh, they're trying so hard to get funded. So and we're got, way look, off. If you got a little extra dough, yeah, toss it there. Five way. bucks. Five bucks. A, a buck. Anything. They yeah. they're so cute. They're trying so hard to get this. If thing you're funded. on GoFundMe and you're looking at things in funding and go, oh shit. That's right. Bert's daughter's on here. It's GoFundMe.com slash Troop13376 Silver Award. That was a long fucking read. It was, but it was fun. I apologize, guys. Uh, this is a great podcast you're about to listen to. Um, I've been a fan of this guy's for a really, really, really long time. Uh, I first heard of him when he was on Talk Soup. He replaced Greg Kinnear. I remember when he replaced Greg Kinnear because right after that, uh, S- oh, fuck. I don't, Slytherin? N- no, no. Um, I was going to say Stuart Scott got on ESPN and everyone was giving Stuart Scott shit because he was the new guy. And I thought if I like John Henson as much now after Greg Kinnear, then I like Stuart Scott. And I became a Stuart Scott fan. And I met Stuart Scott. I went to dinner with him one night and I told him that. And I said, well, it was a really horrible compliment to give Stuart Scott. Um, but I said, you know, when everyone hated you when you first got on ESPN, <laughs> and he, he, but apparently he knew that a lot of people hated him. Right. I think it was a lot of racism. I think it was people because he was black. Oh. And he was like, booyah. And everyone's like, oh, come on. That's, oh, he's the booyah guy? I don't know if he said booyah, but oh. he, was, he got a lot of shit when he first, I don't know why I'm talking about Stuart Scott. Rest in peace, Stuart Scott. He was a really cool guy. He died? <laughs> yeah. We're all learning shit today. Wait, why did he die? Uh, he was just done. He was like, I'm, I'm thinking I'm... Because he, he had a fucking cancer. He killed himself? No, he had cancer. Oh. He had cancer. Well, he, just died. he said, well, I'm His done. He's is... been meandering into horrificness. Uh-uh. <laughs> but uh, that's the first place I ever saw John Henson. And I, I loved it. I loved Talk Soup. It was so great. Uh, House Sparks was right after him. but uh, he did... House Sparks? What's his name? Hey, we Hal Sparks. Cut her mic totally. What was his name? Hal Sparks was an is a comedian. Uh, Hal Sparks was a comedian. He is a comedian. Was he quick? Not Hal Sparks. <laughs> House House Sparks. <laughs> was he Sparky? Uh, 
hey guys, remember Leanne's going to be starting her podcast where we get more of these gems no, dropped I daily. I can't seem to get my act together. Uh, and then John Henson uh, dipped into Wipeout, which was our family's favorite show. Oh my God. And you'll experience that when my daughters come into the podcast in the tail end and you just hear gold. I mean, real gold. I mean, honestly, if you just want to skip to the very end and just listen to the, just watch my daughter's minds get blown when they see him then you're listening to the wrong podcast. Because these two <laughs> dead little chicks walked in. They're like, I don't know who you are. I don't ever remember Wipeout. Isla was obsessed with Wipeout when she was about three or four years old. And she has no memory of it at all now. Yeah. Which is really a shame because she was, here come to motivate us. It really is a shame. But we talk about, uh, we talk about Wipeout. We talk about, we talk in depth about Talk Soup. We talk about how he got it. We talk about him leaving. We talk about the contracts. You know, I'm obsessed with money. Why did he leave? Well, you got to listen to the goddamn podcast. Lee. I'm not going to tell them now. I don't have time to listen to your podcast. Hey, we're trying to sell this thing <laughs> to people to listen to. <laughs> I don't have time. Uh, we talk about the writing process. He tells a great Steven Seagal story. No way. Yeah. He tells a great Steven Seagal story. Does he tell it? Yeah, he tells a great Steven Seagal story. Did he work with Steven Seagal? You got to listen to the podcast, Leanne. Yeah, I don't have time. It's too long. I need to cut it down to like 40 minutes for me so I can, <laughs> so I can do it on a dog walk. Well, someone's wine's talking to them, huh? <laughs> Not such a bad day anymore. I got to go cook a blue apron. It's a great podcast. These are the ones that I have friends in the, that uh, and fans that go, you know, the ones, my favorite ones is when I don't know who the guy is. And, you know, I do that with Rogan. When I don't know who the guy is, a lot of times I'm like, oh, I bet this is going to be a good one because I feel like I'm going to learn stuff about it. And uh, and this is just that. It's It really is. I, I mean, obviously, I think when I come in as a fan of the guy really heavily, I think it's a better interview. And, I'm, and I, I want to say we talked for almost three hours uh, of just it really gospy Hollywood, uh, almost hosty stand up, really great stuff. He got offered a show, Leanne. Was he a stand up? He got offered a show for a million dollars a year and he turned it down. Why? Do you want to know what the name of that show was? No, I'm scared. Name five of your favorite shows on TV Game of Thrones? It was not offered. Black Sails. <laughs> Bloodline. Not offered black sales <laughs> well you said to say your favorite oh oh big little lies no, Leanne, no? Leanne, Leanne, do you know who john henson is yes well you asked me to name my top five shows you think they were gonna offer john henson game of thrones well you didn't ask me that you said name your top five shows no okay let's start this over name your top five shows that you think john henson could be in and i'll tell you which one it is I don't know. It's Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones, he passed on. Bloodlines, he passed on. <laughs> he almost played a pirate. Well, he got bad luck if he oh. passed on all three of those. Oh, fuck. I don't know who he'd... Well, if you know. want to find out the name of the show, you got to listen to the podcast. No, no, what is it? I'm not going to tell you. You got to listen to the podcast. I'm not listening to the podcast. It's too long. I can't. It's, it's, it's called a tease. Ladies and gentlemen, today's <laughs> podcast, John Henson. So what show was it? texting with ari this morning (laughs) he said he goes when bert starts drinking ask him when that two weeks of sobriety was supposed to start (laughs) 
he um are we recording here uh he is he is exhausting as a friend <laughs> like there's like i was just talking with segura this morning you can move that mic any way you need it see fit i was talking with segura this morning about about ari he's like uh it's like it's like having a bull mastiff <laughs> You don't realize, well, like, and you don't want to walk in the home if Ari doesn't uh, know you're not coming you in. You do not right? want to be. You do not want to have a run in with Ari. God, your skin is fucking awesome. Are you kidding me, dude? Are you part Asian? I wish I was. I'm, dude. I rolled over the odometer this summer. I turned fifty this summer. You do not look fifty. And uh, and I'll tell you, man, when you turn fifty, it's like. The big thing when you turn 50 is like, there's just really no excuse for not knowing what you're doing in your life. Like at 40, in your 40s, you can pass it off that you can still do that. Like, well, you know, I'm a late bloomer. I'm a comedian. But by 50, it's like, no, you really ought to know what the fuck you're doing now. I have not been drinking uh, this month as often as I normally do. And part of me is sitting there going, why why didn't we do this a tad bit earlier? <laughs> like not I'm not saying like just like you, last you year. What, you don't two warehouses. <laughs> right? Oh my god. I'm so much more productive and so much health so much healthier when I don't drink. Yeah. And it's and I just said said it to the point like I'm my stand up so much better. I did uh Irvine this weekend and uh Thursday show was phenomenal. Both Friday shows amazing. Early right. Saturday show maybe the best show I've had. And then late Saturday, my wife sends a cocktail to the stage, and all fucking bets are off. I did two hours of new material. Whoa! And two just hours. just rambling, fucking rambling. And I was like, and everyone loved it. Was they, I mean, it was good though, right? It wasn't just. I would not. I would argue it's not. But they, everyone seemed to like it. Everyone was like, that was amazing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it could have been really good. I did two hours once when I was doing colleges, and they did the. Uh, I was in like. I don't know, Minnesota or something. And they were like, the two opening acts got snowed in. Can you do their time? And I was like, can I have their money? You yeah. Know? Hey, do you know who Vic Henley is? Of course. You're right. Of Vic course. Henley, greatest story ever, man. He goes, uh, when he was just starting out, he was emceeing in Alabama. And a guy goes, headliner can't make it. Can you do his time? And he goes, I got five minutes of material. I can do as long as you want. <laughs> and, that's, and that was like, I was like, I, it would have been stretched for me to do an hour, but I was like, yeah. two hours? Absolutely. No problem. I'll do it. I'll figure it out. Done. Yeah. I remember the first time I headlined was in, uh, was in uh, La- the Laugh Stop in Houston, and I was filling in for Dane. So there were people that still showed up. They were in, coming for Dane. Right. But, and this is like the peak of Dane. But he had canceled. And I, they were like, uh, you got to do an hour. And I was like, oh, no problem. And got up on stage and realized I had 35 minutes. I had 35 <laughs> minutes. And if I <laughs> talked fast, it was 20. <laughs> yeah, right. 35 minutes if everything is going well. On with applause pace. breaks. Yeah. That's right. with applause breaks. Right. But yeah, um, wait, where did you start stand up? So I started um, in Boston, um, like right around the same time as uh, Rogan and Greg Fitzsimmons and those really? guys, like late 80s. So that, what an interesting, see, I always say like, there's no one's going to know the path that someone like you had because that path no longer exists whatsoever. I, I just had this conversation with somebody. I was like, you know, 
like when I started in TV, I I like I was obsessive about kind of learning every step of the way, right? So I yeah. like I learned how to produce, I learned how to write, I learned how to show run and all that shit, and and you know sort of a linear progression, rode the ladder up, and then now you can be fucking sixteen years old and have a smartphone and be shooting shit and have like five million viewers and you can make more money than you ever could on TV. And I'm like, thanks for coming up with that fucking innovation oh. right after I dumped twenty five years into a linear progression of learning shit that's now obsolete oh i remember when they switched over to um i remember when they switched over to dv tapes then i remember when they went from dv tapes to cards i mean like i remember just watching things which i I think ultimately it's good but there is no like i got an offer to host something today and i was just like i was like what the money they paid i get in one read in a podcast right and i was like no yeah. I was like, I'm not going to go to New York for three days and right. shoot stuff on the street with a director who doesn't know what they're doing. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, these kids are like, why am I going to take a pay cut yeah. to go into TV and take notes from a 48-year-old man in a shitty suit who doesn't understand what I do? Doesn't get what I do and doesn't get what he does. Doesn't understand. Like That's the biggest problem. I think me and you have a very, very similar path in that... I think obviously you were much more successful in your path than me, but I, I was on that path. Like I, I did the talk shows, hosting gigs. Like I would have definitely, by the way, by the way, dream job would have been wipeout. Dream job. <laughs> Dude, I, I realized when I was driving over here, I fucking had that stuff for your kids in my office for months. And I literally oh. just took it down to the basement and I was driving over. It's like, this would have been the perfect time to come. My kids, that was, that was probably one of the greatest shows that's ever been on television. Well, it was a, it was an awesome ride. And my son, who's six, has just discovered it. So now I'm literally paying for downloads of my own show because oh. he's discovered it years after it went off the air, you know? How was the, like, like I want to talk about Wipeout, but I want to, oh, let's get there. All right. Because, because I, I can't tell you. If if what I do with this podcast derives as an an iota of the pleasure that that show gave me and my family, because it hit when the girls were just babies, right? But they got it, and they used to go, "Here comes the motivator." Yeah, it was the great. Let's get to that. But so when you started stand up, how soon did you move to L.A.? Uh, I actually moved to New York. So I was uh, I, I I went to Boston University uh, freshman year. Uh, I started an improv troupe. Um, when I left that improv troupe, Greg Fitzsimmons took my spot. Really? Yeah. Um, so that's how long we go back. You yeah. Know? <clears throat> Talking about like, God, 30 years now. That's the OGs. Um, so, uh, and then I did, I did like sophomore year, I started doing stand up. It was like the next logical step in exploring comedy, you know? And, you know, I was like anybody else. Like, I did, like, five open mics, and I was like, done. This is what I'm doing. And I, and I, uh, my dad was on the Board of Regents for Public Education in Massachusetts when I dropped out of college to do stand-up. My dad was, like, uh, one of Michael Dukakis's advisors for his presidential campaign. Really? There was, like, whispers that he was going to become Secretary of Education. And I, you know, called my dad, who is from Arkansas son of a coal miner and was like i'm gonna do stand-up now for a li- i'm dropping out of college and <laughs> dude it, literally that's the look on his face like he was like uh, like it was like i told him i was gonna guess weights in the circus oh like he was like God. what and uh 
I'll never forget this, man. I took him out to brunch in Boston. I took him out to brunch. I went out to brunch and he paid. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I told him and my stepmother that I was going to drop out of college. And he was like, oh, I think that's great. And I'm the youngest of five boys. And I called all my brothers and I was like, dude, you're not going to believe this. He was so cool. And they were like, oh, yeah, let me know how that goes. And the next morning he called me at like, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. He goes, hey, I just want to let you know um, I canceled your health insurance. I figure now that you're on your own, you're going to want to take care of that yourself. Oh, and uh, you'll never get another dime from me. Click and hung up. And I was like, what? Wait, shut up. So you're because your dad was raised by a coal miner. Yeah. Dude. So your dad had your dad had, in Arkansas. Yeah. Your, I'm guessing your dad was born in the late 30s. Yeah. So it was like, I mean, he's 85 now. Um, so probably 34. Yeah. And it was like he was I mean, look, my dad is there are aspects of my childhood that are pretty hard ass. Like my dad was a hard ass. But when when I grew up, I, I realized that like if my dad was a hammer, his father was a fucking wrecking ball. Like, yeah. you know, my my grandfather didn't own a pair of shoes until he was 11. And he bought them with money he made himself. He dropped out of school at 11 to work in the mines 12 hours a day. He made a dollar 27 a day, came home, gave his parents the dollar for room and board, kept 27 cents. And he, he was from a big family, so there wasn't room for him in the house. Him and his brother slept in a fucking tent in the backyard. And he's paying a dollar a day for rent. And uh, And like, you know, so my dad... I mean, like, you know, my dad and my mom got married uh, young. He had kids, you know, and he How was young, <clears throat> probably like 19, 20. God. So when in he Arkansas, was, when he was 20, he had. Yeah. When he was 20, he had like a kid and a kid on the way. And uh, when he graduated, uh, he goes, uh, my dad gave me a hundred dollar bill and goes, best of luck in life, man. And if anything good ever happens to you, you make sure and call your mother. She'd love to hear that. And just like got in a car and drove away. And my old man was like, what? I am on my own. Dude, and, uh, do you have any spectrum for like a spectrum of appreciation for how that man just doesn't exist at all? It, it, it is. He really is a throwback. Like he is a he is one of those like self-made guys. He came out of University of Arkansas. He got a job at IBM and he was all of a sudden he's working, you know, competing against guys from schools that he had only read about, like Yale and Brown and Harvard and, yeah. you know, and and uh, and just self-made dude. And, you know, God bless him. Like he just didn't understand. He had no it, he literally just couldn't wrap his head around what I was going to do. And to this day, like, you know, I joke about it, but it's true, man. I mean, when I when I went to, when my wife and I got married, it was like, I think the beginning of the third season of Wipeout. And I went home after my honeymoon. I just done like two late night shows in a span of like a month. We were pregnant with our first kid. We hadn't told anybody yet. And the week that I was home, Wipeout was the number one rated show on all of broadcast television for the week. Right. So I'm coming like it's a fucking victory parade. It's a for good me. feeling. Right. You know, and my dad pulled me aside at a barbecue that weekend and goes, you ought to do something smart, like take advantage of this opportunity, get out of this business, <laughs> open up a Dunkin' Donuts franchise. <laughs> and I was like, I have the number one show on television <laughs> right now. I like it is. I cannot get higher in my industry than I am. Yeah. And he, he was like, and, and like, to be clear, like, he doesn't mean, 
as an investment, he means you fucking go down at 4.30 in the morning and open up and make those, you know. Yeah. And to this day, man, to this, my father told my brother a month ago, um, I think it's about time Johnny changed industries. And my brother goes, he's 50. He's been doing this for yeah. 30 years. What is he going to do? And he goes, I think he'd be real good at sales. You've done, <laughs> you've done probably, I'm going to guess, 3,000 episodes of television throughout your career. Probably yeah. a couple thousand hours easy, you know, like what that it's but it's so interesting Like I remember I remember the first time um, First time I made like money like uh, I don't know how much money it was But it was it was I remember saying something to my dad and my dad's like buddy I just don't understand any of it He's like I, I don't I don't like I don't even know what to do with your money. I don't know. I don't know Yeah, I don't know. I'd say buy a house. I don't know. I don't know, maybe hold on to it like he just was like I because he has such a panic for my I remember when I took uh the Travel Channel show, he was like, uh, he was like, I, I just don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then it started working. He was like, okay, I was wrong, I was wrong. Right. And then I and then I stayed at Travel Channel too long because I had his mentality of life of, and I said this to him at the beach house one time. I said, uh, I said, well, you know, you know, it's like your motto: eat shit and cash checks. And he started crying. He goes, No, you're too talented to eat shit and cash checks. Leave uh. the network. Leave the network. And I was like. I was like, what? And he's like, you got to take, if you're ever going to take a chance, do it now. It was, I was like 42. He's or 43. He was like, do the, take a chance now. And I was like, he was like, I didn't take enough chances in my life. And I was like, oh, oh man. Fuck. Yeah. Oh shit. This is about your life. I was like, thanks a lot, Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I, you know, I get it. I mean, I, you know, my dad is like the, he's a bit of a wet blanket, but it's the, the, the sad part is he's fucking right. Like he'll say, he'll go, you don't have a career, buddy. You have a series of jobs that go from A to B. And when you get to B, you don't know when C is going to start. It could start in six months. It could start in six years. Like, you don't know how long that money's got to last you, you know? That is a weird, uh, it's a weird feeling in this business. So when you, so when you got done Talk Soup, what did you feel? Did you, did, like, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how do you know what to turn down and what to take? You know, it's funny, man. My manager used to say uh, the no's in your career are just as important as the S's. And I've had some costly no's. Really? Uh, so, like, I left, so I left college, <clears throat> moved to New York. Yeah. Did stand up there for, like, seven years. Um, and uh, book talk soup, you know? And, and it was one of those, like... Everyone I knew was auditioning for Talk Soup. We all auditioned for it. I remember you know? watching. I remember watching Talk Soup in college. What years is nine? This is wait, hold on. When did you get on it? In ninety five. Ninety five. Started January. 95. I remember when you got on in ninety five because Kinnear left. Then right. you. I started guest hosting at the end of ninety four. I had done. It was so weird because. Um, like, I remember, first of all, I was a rabid Talk Soup fan, like psychotic Talk Soup fan. Yeah. And uh, and so when I got the audition, I remember like telling my girlfriend at the time, like, this is, you know, I honestly like this is the kind of show that I feel like I'd be good at. Like, if yeah. they let a nobody do this shit, I could do it. And I came home from the audition and I was like, I think I, I, yeah, I, think I did really well, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I heard nothing for like eight or nine months. And then I got I was watching. uh 
uh, oh, and then I got a call from my agent going, uh, you got a call back. And I was like, I thought that was over. And she goes, no, they've been looking all over the country. They've seen like, they saw like 3000 people in five different cities over 18 months. And, um, she goes, they, they said, they like you, they want to have you back in. And I remember coming home from that call back and, and going, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking stuck my landing like a little Yugoslavian gymnast, man. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, that was it. And, uh, and, uh, and it was the only time in my life that I have ever, been told the exact thing I did in an audition that got me the job. My executive producer at the time, Alex Duda, was like, because uh, they give you copy and they want you to improvise. And so I was, I was in the audition. I was teasing to break, and I had to do like a coming up on Jerry Springer. Um, uh, my grandma's a criminal, and then I, I just threw and I go, uh, not my grandmother. My grandmother's on the grift, which is a totally different form of short con altogether. And yeah. and she goes, it was the, it was the use of the word grift and short con so authentically, you yeah. know. She was like, that was we were like, all right, let's give that guy a shot. So I came out. Did a few uh, guest hosting spots, and then I took over in 95, and it was just fucking... I mean, we were just talking about this. That's a game changer. Yeah, it was a game changer, and it was also like, you know, people forget... Like, E was not the E that you see when you're watching The Soup. All they had was Talk Soup. Dude, when I took that show over, it was airing four times a day. Like, they just did not have anything to put on. So it was like viewership through attrition. It was every three hours it was on. And, um, and you know, there was a trade-off. The trade-off was, um, so, like, you know, the soup, whatever, they had, like, I believe Writers Guild writers. They probably had a staff of eight or something like that, you know, yeah. to do a half hour a week. We had three guys doing two and a half hours a week and uh and you know they were making like 1500 bucks a week like there was no oh. money right but the trade-off was i did over 1100 shows there in four and a half years i never had one note session ever no one ever fucking talked to me about what we did on the air i showed my scripts to the executive producer after like three years she left i became executive producer and then we didn't show our scripts to anyone and we did shit that was just wrong. Like you could never get away with it now. Yeah. Never. Like really, really deeply inappropriate, offensive stuff, you know? Oh. Um, but it was, they were just happy that we would hand them a tape and be like, there's a half hour. You can air that. You That's, know what I mean? So that, and, and that was, that was back when like uh celebrity was, there, w- there wasn't any reality television. No, it was... Somebody said uh, to me, and I thought this was a good way to put it, they said, uh, Talk Soup was YouTube before YouTube because it was where you went to go see the viral videos, like the the one-minute clips from the crazy talk shows, yeah, right? It was, was where you went to go see the transvestite midget fight from Jerry Springer, and, you know, it was just, let's put on a show in the barn. my mom made costumes. I mean, we didn't... Like, I never... It. it I was so naive that like I thought I had crossed the finish line. I had a job in television. It never occurred How to you? me. It's 27. I, it never oh occurred to me God. that I could get fired, right? Yeah. So I, like all all I was trying to do ever on that show was just make the dudes in that room laugh. Like yeah. it I had no concept of ratings or we didn't have there was no social media back then you had no clue whether or not it was resonating you know what i mean so all your your only 
basis as a live performer i was just trying to make the guys in the crew laugh and um such man i think to, to go back to what you said before that is that is now what is youtube is is just trying to make like all i try to do on this podcast is stay interested and if i'm interested i figure they're interested right and that's and and that's the only litmus you have and that was what you were doing right and it changed so much to now television is so much about brand friendly and and is this on brand and and you're like what the fuck yeah it's changed so much when it should just be is this funny to us right i used to do this recurring joke about uh uh, like alluding to being molested by my uncle Carl. It was always like I would always start out a story by going, "Oh, that happened. Something similar happened to me once." Like, uh, like we did. Um, there was a clip of uh, Doctor Scholes did like a dirty sneaker contest, and we came out of that clip. And I go, "Oh, I was in uh, something like that once." And uh, <laughs> and my crew guys you off camera. Oh yeah, and I go, "Yeah, yeah." One oh, uh, right, I forgot. Wasn't yeah. a dirty sneaker contest. It was a. Uh, uh, it was a dirty underwear contest, and um, uh, it wasn't sponsored by Dr. Scholz. It was sponsored by my Uncle Carl, and um, <laughs> but I won, and, uh, and you just hear uh, Tom, manage, uh, Tom, my stage manager, go, what'd you win? And I go, <clears throat> six stitches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, slow tear, you know, and then we fade out, like, just doing, like, whatever we could think of to make ourselves laugh. No, how was it perceived by the network? Was there, like... I think they hated me. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, they definitely were not into me. Did you have like, did you have big Hollywood power agents? Mm. Cause, because for those of you listening, there was, this is at a time and, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I know I'll t through my experience, this is at a time where people would tell you, agents would tell you, don't host. You get you'll be get stuck as a host right be an actor you want to be an actor right and and they were like sitcoms maybe but we really want you to get in films sitcoms now you can launch into film like this right. is what they were saying right. back then they're like but if you host right. we'll never get into acting and i remember i got a deal at fx to host a show and i got a sitcom deal at the same time they're like we only think you should take the hosting gig yep. because we have this development deal so they'll see you as an actor and it, but it was like did, was like, did you have ICM and CAA? And uh, I mean, I had, I had, like once, a, you know, I think I changed agencies uh, once I got that show, and and um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, they had just lost Greg Kinnear, you know, so my contract was like rigid, bro. Really, I could not do anything else really nothing oh, that in sucks. fact my first year on the show they had said like you know oh you know we'll um you know in success we'll revisit your contract because i was making no money i mean I'm, I'm not kidding dude i was making like maybe 10 15 grand a year more than i was working as a comic and uh and Whoa. and uh to do 52 weeks of programming a year like i had two weeks no off time, yeah no time but if i work. wanted a week off i had to double tape shows for like it you know there was no taking time off so yeah. um but i was so happy i mean i was just so happy you know um but like i think my first or second year on that show um i got offered a sitcom deal by disney and and uh dean valentine at the time was uh was the head of disney and and uh he drove over the hill into Hollywood to meet with the president to E. I think a guy's name was Lee Masters at the time. And he goes, uh, we want to do uh, 
uh, sitcom for John. We'll build a talk soup set on the Disney lot. You can keep, we'll pay all of the employees. You can bring them all over to Disney. He can tape in the downtime of his sitcom and we'll pay his salary. And, uh, and he goes, uh, I want a million dollars to open up the contract to let him do it. And, um, and I remember, uh, my agent saying that like, Dean Valentine got up and was like, are you fucking kidding me? You made me drive over the hill to ask me for a million dollars to let you, you know, to let me pay for the production value of your show. Like, and walked out and that was it. And that's when I realized like, oh man, they're not going to let me do anything. So is that, is that when you started going like, all right, it's time to. Well, it was hard because, you know. Uh, like all of a sudden I went from being a club comic to being on television and you know, talk soup was a big deal back then. Really it was like having deal. your own one man SNL. Like it was really, you know, you got to do the sketches. You if got touring to- was what it is now. If it was then what it is now touring right now is probably biggest than it's ever been. Oh dude, the, the biggest mistake I ever made in my career because I left New York. I came to LA within three weeks. E started covering the OJ trial. So, all of a sudden, they were like, hey, we need the studio by 8 a.m. You have to be out of the studio by 8. I need you at work at 4 or 4.30. Yeah. It was like doing Good Morning America. Like, I was like, what? I had to go to bed at like 8, you know? So I didn't know any of the clubs out here, didn't know any of the comics, didn't know any of the bookers, and I had to go to bed at 8, and I couldn't travel on the weekends because I had to do a Friday show. So I blink, and I've been out of stand-up for like a year. And then I'm doing well on TV and I was like, well, you know, other opportunities, you know, and I just kind of got away from it. And I, and I, and I was lucky enough to keep working as a host in television, but like I stopped doing standup for 16 years, dude. Whoa. And when I, dude, you'll love this, man. Uh, when I, I ran into Greg Fitzsimmons and he was like, dude, you got to get back into standup, you know, you're, you know, you're comic. And, and the weird thing was, I I think I probably became a much better writer writing for TV because you, you have deadlines. You have to, you know, generate material. You don't get to choose what you yeah. write about. Like I was a dude that just wrote on stage or I said something funny and then I. Who the fuck is that? I don't know, man. Oh, uh, he's our pool guy. <laughs> Okay, keep going. You want to go jump that dude? <laughs> nope. I got your back. I just like, my wife's fucking a 10. <laughs> that's our fucking pool guy? fucking gorgeous. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. He's a SoCal stud. <laughs> he has a silver fox. Jesus. Oh, he's right up my wife's alley, too. Um, so wait, oh, he's I'm coming sorry, back. Was... So, um, oh, yeah. Look at oh, that guy. fucking got Converse on. <laughs> <sighs> so you st- and he knows pH levels. Like no. that alone. The, the I can't even turn my pool lights on. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. My wife's like, it's an app. And I go, I don't know. Yeah. Nah. Um, but I, so I, so Greg was like, you got to get back into stand up, right? So I finally get uh, my shit together. I go down to do a set at the improv and I run into Rogan, right? And I hadn't seen Rogan in like 20 years. And, yeah. and, uh, and he remembers, he's like, hey, what are you doing? I go, oh, I'm doing a set, man. I haven't, I haven't done stand up in like 16 years. And he goes, <laughs> and uh and i remember like the next like a week or two later i heard him he didn't mention my name but he told the story to an, somebody that he was he was like i ran into a guy that i started out with and he's going back after like 16 years and i was like i don't know man that's fucking but you know i that was like years ago and i and uh 
And then I and then I ran into Rogan. Rogan did a uh, a benefit that uh, that I I did for a coworker once, and and he saw a piece of my set, and he was like, "Dude, you know, TV's great, but you want to be independent of that shit. You know, go back to stand up, get yourself a tasty hour, do a fucking Netflix special. You yeah. know, get independent of the TV industry, and then you're your own boss." And it was like. You know, I mean, you know, Rogan, it's like, it was like sitting down with Tony Robbins. I was like, yeah, you glorious son of a bitch. I'll follow you straight into hell, man. I'll do it. <laughs> he can, dude, uh, he, yeah, he's, he's an extremely inspirational dude. I mean, he's, the way he's got his life set up right now, I'm kind of modeling mine after that in, in the production side. Cause I go, I go, yeah, why wouldn't you just have your own fucking shingle? I used to want my own shingle, meaning like, for those who are not in Hollywood, I think that was the term of when, a yeah. studio sets you up with an office. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, make stuff for us. But it was all their money, so you didn't have to go out of pocket. Right. Well, nowadays, I can I can go out of pocket right. and just purchase a warehouse right. and then set my podcast up in there, set production office up in there, make stuff, like, I, like and, and go, oh, yeah, I can do it on my own. I like, and watching him take, and, and you know, Corolla's the, really the first one I've ever saw that did this. Joe's always done it, but in his own way, you know, and, but... Uh, watching Corolla and Joe do that, I just go, yeah, yeah, I can make like, I don't want to be beholden to anybody. It's yeah, I tell you, man, like, I know it sounds he and he has no idea because I don't think I've seen him since that night. That was like two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, but like that fired me up, man. Like I literally was like, you know what, man, he's right. And um, oh, well, but you, and you have it both ways where you can take the money that the networks pay you and work for them and then create your own stuff also. Right. But there's also I mean. You have such a you have such a, a and brand's the wrong word, but such a recognizable brand in that you could do so much. You could do what uh, Jimmy Dore's doing that uh, that pop up politics or right. the, po the politics talk. There's so much stuff you could do that goes online that lives online that people would assume is network television. Right. They would assume like you you know for me to do. Um, for me to do like a sit and talk into the microphone uh, single shot is is fine, but a lot of people go, who is that? But when you do it, your face pops up and they go, oh, this must be ABC's or NBC's or CBS's new. Like you, and, and so in a weird way, you've got the stamp of approval of like a, this is legitimate. And, and. I mean, you you can almost go up and running without anybody. Well, it's you know it's weird, dude. I I feel like I've been riding two horses because, you know, there's like my TV career, which is totally different. But then, you know, I'm totally like I'm behind the eight ball um, because, like, for guys like Joe and Greg that never stopped doing stand up and have been doing it for thirty years and they have a giant following, I don't. You know what I mean? Like I need I need to build up. You have a huge following. They just don't know. They just where to don't follow. know. They just don't know where to follow me. So that's the next thing for me is I'm actually sitting down this week with somebody to talk about getting into the podcasting game and super, and uh, and start. Super easy. I, know I got a guy who can set you up, dude. I got I got I I have a HD beautiful HD camera. I've got lights. I've got lav mics. I've got all the equipment. I just really need to like you know get it set up so where I can get it out. You know all you got to do. is is it's very very simple in that i did this by myself for four years three years and then i got to a place where it was overwhelming me to do it by myself because i would bring in like it was just it was like the setup like the the setup of going are the cards cleared or does do i you know like 
are the mic levels good? Is everything sounding okay? Like right. I'd be panic about panicking about that in the middle of the interview and not paying attention to the interview, and then I'd be like, "Wait, one mic's picking up this audio," and so. Um, but you definitely got to do it. But there's also, you know, you should f- take a look at Chris D'Elia is doing it really well. Chris D'Elia is probably doing it better than anyone in, in my opinion right now. In that uh, he's him and uh, and Theo Vaughn's doing it. Yeah, where allegedly. Just, yeah, where they're no, yeah, in, where they just do a single camera, single mic, and then talk right about whatever's going on in the news or whatever is going on in their lives, and you could do that. I mean, it ba- they're basically doing talk soup. They're not doing talk soup. They're, it's about them. Yeah, it's an interview, but, but yeah. But you could do something like that. Put it out once a week, daily, morningly. Like, do it every morning for 30 minutes. Stream of consciousness. Your voice, your personality. Right. And so many people would see your... Are you so recognizable that they'd see you and go, oh, this is legit. Like, right. it goes on Facebook, and it gets shared instantly. Right. Live stream it fa- on Facebook, put it on YouTube, put it on across all platforms. I, I just think, you know, um, you, you're you someone you're someone that all of us know. I mean, I've known who you are since I was a kid. Well, I got really lucky. I mean, <clears throat> Talk Soup was awesome. I did that for four and a half years. You but- were in a fucking Blink-182 video the other day. I mean, <laughs> I mean Kevin and Bean... And we're talking about uh, the fucking guitarist who's a little off his rocker. Yeah. Uh, he's funding aliens. Yeah, yeah. I like it. A, yeah. I like it. Look, I'm not shitting on that guy at all. He's got li- government sources. Dude, I like what he's saying, and I hope he's right. That's all I'll fucking say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't shit on anybody. Uh, oh, I do. I take that back. But privately. But, uh, but and and we're watching the video, and you just popped up in the fucking Blink-182 yeah. video. I was like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, no, that was crazy, man. I remember, because um, I forget that I did shit like that. I you know? but That whole era of my life was a haze anyway, you know? You boozing? <clears throat> oh, really? You don't drink anymore? Oh, yeah, we talked about that when I started Sober October. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I fucking, they sent my jersey to Cooperstown, bro. I'm all done. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been fun, though. Or, like... Early 90s, late 90s. I called it enjoying the rich bounty of basic cable, man. Oh. You, were, you know, that was like, uh, you know, that was a, it was, we were living it. We were living it, man. We were living it. It was fun. What I think a lot of people forget about you, but I do not, is you had a gray streak in your hair. Yeah, man. It's still there, but it's, it's like the rest of the gray is blend. You know, it's, I'm turning into a Lord of the Rings character, dude. When did I'm that, like a, when did you get that as a kid? I was born with it. Really? Yeah. It was your whole life you had it. Yeah. And then I made the mistake of like first week on Talk Soup because Greg's nickname was Soup Boy. And I made the mistake of referring to myself as Skunk Boy. And it just fucking stuck, bro. <laughs> I mean, I'll still be like walking down the street and, a, you know, somebody will just from a car, Skunk Boy, you know. That's, did you ever think about coloring it? No. I, I just, you know. That's so Not I remember me. that distinctly. I did color it green for St. Patty's Day on oh, Talk really? Soup. Yeah, we were always doing shit like that. I remember that. I remember when I was like, I was like, I'd never seen that before. I have since seen a guy with gray with one gray eyebrow. Oh, uh, I, that guy. There's a guy in my neighborhood that. First of all, I live like seven minutes from you, dude. For real? Yeah. Do your kids go to the school around the corner? Yeah. Mine too. Wait. Oh no, we're at the middle school now. Okay. Yeah. All right. But you we, went to neighborhood. Oh yeah, it's the best. Adam Carolla went to high school, grade school there. Um. Yeah. My my girls there right now. It's my the little best. girl. It's the best preschool school. there. Oh, you're gonna love that experience. Yeah. Well, my son graduated. He was there for three years. He's in Carpenter now. Oh, for real? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My my uh, 
Yeah, we've this neighborhood's been really great to us. It's I love it, man. This is like the this is like the young parent Riviera. It's the best, and and we're having a hard time because now all our, all our friends are like moving out and getting bigger houses, and we just put the pool in, and part of us is like, ah, oh, like we don't want to leave because we know all the neighbors. We walk right. the dogs. We end up talking to everyone. Our neighbor came by today with all this Russian gear. Oh yeah, and he just was like, he was like, uh, I saw, you know, we were driving down the, st- we were walking the dogs. He's his name's Philip. He's. I wondered of, if that said the machine and I know uh, it says the Braves, Atlanta okay. Braves. Um, and so he, he's our key. His kids go to the same school, and he's driving down the street. He said, "Hey, I make these, uh, I made these things. I want to drop them off at your house. You gonna be around?" And he just dropped off a bunch of Russian, That's awesome Russian American branded Russian. What's the name of his company? Um, it, oh whatever. It's on my Instagram, but uh. But yeah, it's... Um, this is the only time in my life that I've ever known my neighbors. You know, really? we know all of our neighbors. We do like progressive dinner parties and stuff. Our kids all play in the yard. Great. And my when we moved into, uh, we moved into this neighborhood right behind like Ventura and Laurel, yeah. you know, and uh, in the flats right by uh, Carpenter. And first night there, we were walking our dog on lawn. My wife looks around. She goes, I feel like we just moved into a John Hughes movie in the 80s. Like yeah. this is just nameless, faceless suburbia. You know, it doesn't feel like L.A. No, it doesn't. And you can walk. I mean, you we get like we get to what people don't understand understand how weird an experience that is like to walk to the grocery to walk i can walk to fryman canyon i walk my kids to school every yeah. day i can walk to ventura million shops like you got to live like in venice for that or santa monica for that it's uh, it's uh, you don't get this in la or in hollywood i mean right. you can walk in hollywood but it's just such a it's such yeah, a very you're different you're stepping over needles yeah yeah and, and it's really great i we walk to gelson's is our place and i'm there so much that i know everyone yeah like and it's but i love i love this little slice of life my buddy's talking about moving to lexington kentucky and i was like i was like oh i don't know if i could do it my wife and i fantasize about eventually moving out of la you know like we don't you know we're like uh you know 10 years and you know are we gonna but my wife and my bodies would be the kind of bodies that would move to maine you know like like we don't have like we don't have like (laughs) move to colorado bodies because we're like yeah we just would not do shit in colorado my my in-laws live in south carolina and you like yeah we could be south carolina bodies like i made the mistake of picking up a a a real estate magazine i was like holy shit i could buy a fucking palace for the cost of a down payment in la like and be done just new dealer everybody best of luck i'm going on break my one of my buddies is one of the wealthier dudes in an area i won't say the name because everyone will figure out who that is really quick but only because it was tampa but he bought a house that i just was came like, from tampa were you in tampa this weekend uh, no i did uh, last weekend i was in denver but i did side splitters there a couple yeah. weeks ago yeah uh, i'm in the improv this week nice um but he bought like a like a, a five million dollar house and they were all blown away can you imagine someone spend that and i was like yeah 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 yeah, that definitely happens yeah. pretty easy. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I think I said, I think you'd be offended how much I spend for my house considering how small it is. Right. No, it's like, I mean, you know, there are, there are very stupid people in LA that spend $5 million on a house. Oh, I, our neighbor lives next to someone. I, by the way, everyone listening to this goes, uh, my house doesn't cost that Bert, but like, but I understand everyone lives, but the neighbor next door has to a, fr- a friend has a $2.5 million house. And I just was like, what do they do? Right. Like what do they how are they making that money right every week right that's and then, crazy and they run nbc so uh so <laughs> so wait when did you leave talk soup so uh i left for a big development deal at abc in 99 and i you know dude i i would have stayed forever i was having a good time but they were 
<clears throat> in the late 90s, uh, the guy that was in charge of the FCC, William Bennett, was doing a big crackdown on television like they were there was like a real concerted effort to crack down on the on the talk shows jenny jones had that murder oh, right yeah. and it was like all of a sudden people just decided it had gotten enough is enough there had been like you know at one point there was like 25 daily talk shows i mean it was just the heyday it was a gold rush for us on talk soup and then all of a sudden they didn't want to see the fighting. They started cleaning it up. Shows yeah. started dying off. And uh, that year, in January of 99, we did a uh, live show in Chicago. And um, and it was at the State Theater, right? Which is like where Letterman and Leno do their shows. And, um, and I remember waking up, and uh, it was like 11 a.m., and I looked out, and there were all these people on the street, and I go, what's fucking going on? They were like, dude, they're lined up for your show. I was like, the show is not until 7. They were like, yeah, dude, they were lining up at 9. And the line was wrapped around the block in January in Chicago, people in costumes and shit. And, you know, um, we had like a just a giant audience man we packed that place and i remember being backstage and they were stomping their feet and chanting my name and uh uh the girl i was with at the time looked at me and goes dude you're fucking aerosmith like what's happening you know and <clears throat> i walked out on stage and i got a standing ovation when i walked out and i remember looking out at my contract was up in like four months five months and they had an offer on the table I could have continued, but I knew that the talk shows were dying off. Yeah. And I was like, it's never going to be better than it is right now. Like, I will never. That's what, we're peaking. I can like, hear your dad it. in your head. You, you know should what start I mean? a Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, yeah, start making crullers yeah. and bear claws. Yeah. So, uh, so I was like, ah, no, I'm going to take this other thing. Like, I don't want to be the guy that just road talk soup into the ground you yeah know? yeah yeah that's so um, smart and uh i don't know man i mean so here's the biggest regret of my career i leave in 99 right and um did this big like splashy pilot for uh for it was basically going to be like a global version of talk soup tv from all over the world right yeah but we didn't anticipate where the producers didn't anticipate the clips being so expensive, right? They were just too expensive. The show was not financially viable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fucking pilot was, I loved it. You know, it was awesome. And um, so at the time, I was, I was with this woman and I was living in Hancock Park, which is like the heart of the Hasidic community, yeah. right? And I lived next door to a dude that was uh, like 6'8", like maybe 320 and he was half of a set of the biggest Hasidic twins that you've ever seen in your life. Like that's just a, that's like, that's like 15 feet of Hasidim. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a lot <laughs> of Hasidim. What a great word. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I was like, uh, they had called and told me that they weren't going to pick up the show, but it was going to air. But then I go, when are they going to air? And they go there. Oh, they're burying it, dude. It's like Saturday night, 8 p.m. on Labor Day weekend. And I was like, oh, man, nobody's home Labor Day weekend, you know? Yeah. And I remember saying to my girlfriend at the time, like, this I fucking, I can't believe I left Talk Soup and I, you know, I did this big deal and it's not going to go. I'm so humiliated. I had a hit show. You never leave a hit show, you know, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, she goes, dude, 
you're so overthinking this, man. No one is thinking about you, but you are, you know, yeah. like, like, just leave it alone. Nobody fucking knows to just go on about your business, man. Nobody gives a shit. And I was like, you're right. And I walk my dog out on the front lawn. And as I'm standing there, big white Cadillac drives up and the acidic dude gets out. And as he's walking up his front step, he looks at me, he goes, hey, whatever happened to that pilot you did for ABC? And I go, uh, they're, uh, they're not picking it up, but they're going to air it. And he goes, when? And I go, uh, Saturday, Labor Day weekend. And he goes, <laughs> and I walked into the house. I was like, even the fucking Hasidim know my career is over. It's the most cloistered community in Los Angeles. They know the word is out, you know? That's fucking. Uh, so, yeah, so it didn't go. So then I got offered uh, this crazy dude. <clears throat> I got offered a million dollars a year to host America's Funniest. And I turned it down. Because it was Bob Saget. Yeah. Okay. Now you remember like no, I late can, I, 90s. Listen, I can quid pro quo this. Bob Bob can, Saget was literally the poster boy. But I, 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 which is not anything about Saget. I'm just saying specifically America's Funniest. Puns, laugh tracks, you know, gray-haired audiences. It's his muscle. He's created the muscle that makes them laugh. Right. And you have to go in and do that muscle if you want them to make them laugh. Right. And now this is this is I'm gonna I'm gonna ballpark it in my head. Um, you you did. We're the second guy on on Talk Soup. Are you going to be the second guy? Everything you take. Right. What What goes next? Family Feud. Like, right. am I always going to be the second guy? I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own brand. And I I was getting big offers and stuff. And the but the big thing for me was it wasn't what I do. Like I yeah. wasn't I wasn't that guy. I was in my early thirties. I had this following of college stoners and i was doing like dark edgy material you weren't like the pun roll the eyes like that. I, I don't get the to, joke yeah to laugh tracks like i was like you know and i i had just enough integrity left that i was like i don't know man like a million dollars is a lot of money but not if it's the last money you make in your career right like if it if they, it's who did they end up going with it was uh john fugel sang and daisy fuentes oh and by the way, just to not to try to vindicate myself, but the show was canceled after yeah. that. By the way, okay. I will say that America's I'm Googling because I my, America's, America's Funniest Home Videos is the show that made me fall in love with my wife. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was I was fucking arrogant when I met her about comedy. I was like, I, I know comedy uh, crotch kicks anyone. That's how they describe America's funniest home videos. Um, uh, Alfonso Ribiera is the host now. Who was the host when I was on it? When I when I was watching. Um, here, cast Tom Bergeron. Tom Bergeron. So, so they had. So they. So when I passed, right, and it was like one of those. I remember I was in my car. I was coming back from an audition. And my manager called me. He goes, "You're gonna believe this, dude." You don't have to take a meeting or anything. It's just straight offer. And I was like, I didn't even, I mean, I, in the car right there, I made the call. I was like, wow, that's so nice, man. Please tell them how grateful I am. I'm going to pass because I really just felt like it would be reversing field of what I did creatively so much, especially at that age. And then, like, I was like, if I become that guy, then who am I? I can't go back and do the thing that made me successful. You know what I mean? Like, and so I mean, it wasn't uh, like I, I'd love to tell you, it wasn't even really a tough decision. Now, 
I've rude that decision a million times, but I was yeah. like, nah, I'm not going to do it. The show ended up, they did a year with John and Daisy and then it got canceled and then they brought it back with Tom. Right. Um, and you know, Tom made a gazillion dollars and it ran forever. Here's the ironic part, man. Uh, two years ago when Tom was leaving and wipeout was over, I was like, that's my fucking gig. Like I'm that guy now. I'm, yeah. Now I'm older. Yeah. I got kids. Yeah. I just came off of a family friendly show on the same network. It's the same audience. You know, I've been writing family friendly jokes on ABC for seven seasons. Like this is me, man. Yeah. I, there isn't anybody that can put wood on the ball in this role like I can. And, uh, and I, he didn't want to see me. And I had to like fight to get an interview. And then I had to fight to get a screen test. There were five of us that screen tested and um i don't know if i'm out of line telling the story but no, uh no i walked out and i was like dude i can't do any better than i did on that screen test yeah. like i i i that was a that was a tape measure shot you know yeah and they called my agent a couple weeks later and they were like uh uh was like well you were right you know john john's the best host you know he's got the most experience and he's certainly the best comic but um we feel like we need some diversity and we're gonna go with alfonso ribeiro and uh and i was like you know what man god bless him good for him yeah. you know i mean um but it hurt hearing like oh, oh no yeah you know you you had the best screen test we're you're just the best gonna, guy for the job it's just yeah we're uh, just gonna we're go with another guy right because now. we do, it's just too close like yeah. you're you know old guy with gray hair old guy with gray hair like you know what i mean it just and and um so i was like that son of a bitch man he got you know he got me back but uh but like so yeah that was like the big so here's a here's a good story from from turning down uh uh america's funniest uh i lost my agency right like my agency was like done when you when you yeah, turned it down goodbye you know what i mean yeah and uh steven soderberg was at a party uh with his wife who i used to work with and um an agent at william morris was talking about me and he goes uh yeah john henson's career never recovered from turning down a million dollars a year to host america's funniest and soderbergh goes he turned down a million dollars a year and uh the guy goes yeah you fucking believe that and soderbergh goes that's awesome <laughs> and uh and and i like i was so vindicated by that because now i got a deal with him for a problem doing a, a project with soderberg i got a true crime project with him, oh, that's you know great. and it's like you know i don't know maybe i wouldn't have that opportunity had i you know yeah I, you can't you can't look back I, I know you know this but i'm saying this to people listening you can't look back at the things you turn down and i often think like you know, when my wife dumped me, uh, I we were just dating. I fought to get her back. And I remember thinking at that time, I'm making a conscious decision to go down this path. I could very easily say that this is what the universe dealt me and go down that path, but I'm here. And the other day, I was sitting with her going, God, so much of my path has been dictated by her decisions in this path. Like, I always think, what if I had just sat in the closet that fucking i when she dumped me i put my mattress in a closet brought a television in the closet and did what we call cave time and was like i'm hurting really bad i, yeah. I need to i need to heal yeah and uh and i couldn't rebound and i was like i need her back and i was like what if i had just stayed in the closet an extra week and said don't worry we'll get back on the horse we'll figure this out like where would i be i don't think i'd be 
I don't think I'd have the friends I have. I don't think I'd be touring. I don't think I would have done a lot of the stuff. It's just timing is right. Dude, I think that's you sort of following your true north, right? Like there was yeah. something in you that was going, no. I, yeah. I, I gotta this is the play I gotta make, right? Yeah, follow um, your true north. That's it. I love that. You know song. what I mean? Yeah. Like you 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 were you were listening to your inner compass. Yeah. And um and uh and I, you know it's funny because I've I just talked to somebody uh, uh the other day who's going through a divorce and I, I, I took a mulligan, right? I mean I got married my last year on Talks are two thousand. I was married for uh I was married for about six years and uh my marriage ended badly. Really? And my ex-wife, vice president of ABC, the network that I worked for for Wipeout for seven fucking years. Really? Yeah. In my department. Vice president of alternative series and specials, dude. I was working for my ex-wife. Like, not directly. She didn't oversee the show. Yeah. But, like, she was in management at the network and in it, my and department. it did not end well. No, no. And uh, like scorched earth, right? I mean, you can't, it was, it was literally, I pitched ABC a sitcom about a guy who has to work for his ex-wife oh. and they were like, this is great. This is way close, too, too, too close to home, man. I like, I changed her name by one letter. I was like, oh. you know, um, but, uh, but the, but my point is, uh, as hard as that was, and dude, I mean, I wrote it down. Like I went, I circled the drain and went down. Yeah. And uh, and um, then years later, I would meet my wife, and you know, now I'm fucking married. I got kids. I'm you know, like so much of my life, so much of the most rewarding shit in my life would never have happened if that hadn't happened. And my wife has this expression that I love whenever she finds out somebody's going through a breakup, whether they did the breaking up or whether they got broken up with my wife goes, congratulations, man. Yeah. And she always treats it like a good thing. Congratulations. Oh. Because if you're, if, if you're in a relationship where either you felt like you needed a change or they felt like they needed a change, it wasn't going to work. Burn off the fucking deadwood, start over again, and maybe be able to meet somebody who, you know, is, uh, is going to step up and be that person for you. Now, you were smart enough to know, you know, Leanne is that person for you. And so you went back and you fought to get it, man. But, um, you know, in retrospect, as bad as it was, man, and it was brutal. Uh, you know, I probably owe my ex-wife a debt of gratitude because she was able to see how poorly we were a fit. And, yeah. and she was able to make the call in a way that I wasn't, you know. And I might have been dumb enough to throw another five or ten years at that marriage and not have kids and all that kind of shit. We went to, uh, when we f when I first started dating Leanne, and this is, once again, I, th I think I might have said this, but I, we were talking about um, America's Funniest Home Video. I had such an arrogant um, view on life. I like, I had figured out my, I had figured out life. I had figured out the ten tenets of life. Tenements, tenants, tenants, tenants of life, and that was uh, never give up on anything, uh, work hard, work harder than anybody else, and uh, and be humble. That was it. That was like that was where I thought I had it, and so, but I really hung my hat on this Winston Churchill quote about never giving up. I really hung my hat on this quote, and we went to a party when we first started dating of this guy 
who's a stand-up. Who you, I wonder if you knew him. Um, Brendan. Uh, oh, f- I bet you knew him. He was at a ball. I bet you knew this fucking guy. Brendan. Uh, I'm calling Lee. I'm Brendan Frazier? No, I think that. Hang on. Brendan Hunt? Was. Brendan. The stand-up's name from Boston. And so he was he was giving up stand-up. It was a going-away party. He was, go, he was moving home, and he was going to get a oh, job, and man. he was like, he was done. I did exactly what you did. I, I, I go, I don't know if I can go to this party. I can't go and celebrate someone's failure. And my wife goes, we're not celebrating his failure. We're celebrating his bravery in choosing not to do this anymore. Imagine how great that is. He gets to start a life where his dreams aren't attached to his job. He just gets to Brendan McMahon. Oh yeah, and okay. so and so. Uh, sorry, Brendan, if I just shouted you out in a negative way, but, but he was a really, really cool guy, great stand up, and then he just pivoted and said, "I, I don't, I, I don't think I can keep my dreams attached to this." It's a very courageous choice. It's man. a very courageous choice, and my wife was like, "You're looking at this wrong. You need to celebrate his courage in saying, guys, I think I'm, I've given it my shot. I want something re- regular. I don't want something that's so up and down. And maybe this isn't for me." And then I was like, "Yeah, it's like those guys." That'll tell people, um, hey, I don't think you should be a stand-up. Like they, I, I could never do that to somebody. Like I could never tell someone, I don't think you have what it takes to be a great stand-up. Because I go, who am I to say? Right. You never know. Like I remember uh, guys that you just go like, go like, oh, I'll never have for that guy. And then all of a sudden they're on last coming standing and they're the biggest fucking selling act on the country. Right, right. I could never tell them that. But there are people that'll go, no, no, no. You need to stop this person now. Like the Simon Cowell effect. Right. Of like you're, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be doing this. Right. I'm saving you years. I'm saving of you agony. years of agony. And I, I never saw that because I think if I saw that angle, I could have had an out. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I remember um, when I started out as a comic. When I moved to New York, I I, uh, I, I walked up to an old my first night in uh, in New York. I went to go see stand up at, at uh, the comic strip, and I asked an old comic. I go, hey, dude, there's an old dude. DF Sweetler, I bet he's still there. Um, and I go, uh, you got any advice for a guy just starting out? And he goes, uh, he said two things. He goes, uh, yeah, if there's anything else you can do, do that. And I go, I got to be honest, dude, I don't, I don't have anything else. Yeah. And he goes, then don't give up your seat at the bar. Meaning like, don't quit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the guys that, that I started out with... You know, some broke right out of the gate and some took a long burn. But the guys that just never stopped, they all have great careers now. Whether they're touring comics, whether they're writers of films or whether they're writers of sitcoms or whether they're actors, they all found their level. You know what I mean? Because they just didn't give up. They kept their feet churning and kept developing. And, you know, now when people ask me, like, what's your advice? I always say... Be prepared to eat a mile of shit to get within an inch of mediocrity. Like, just be prepared to put in years to, you know, of of humility. I did an interview today with a paper out of uh, Philly. I'm doing doing the the truck in February. And he was, uh, he said, That's a big gig, dude. Yeah, yeah. We just added a fifth show. It's awesome. I know. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I don't. It's a warehouse. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're um, but uh, it it I I got I got into this. He was like, he's like, you know, you're such a natural storyteller, and I was like, hold on, 
I was like, you know, it took me like, I did a year of telling the machine story before it got any good. And he was like, well, yeah, but the first time you, I said, no, no. The first time you tell it on a podcast, it's good because it's natural and it's question. It's not, you're not forcing it. But I go, I, it sucked for a year on the road. And he's like, yeah, but how bad? I go, sucked like two minutes in. I was like, I wish I could get out of this, but I know I got to go through all the motions to get to the end to right. figure out what's good or not. And I, he was like, well, then what happened? I said, well, you just learn how to tell stories quicker and go, oh, okay, I can get, I have tricks now, but I, I bathed in failure in that story every fucking night of my life and i go that is the commitment you need to have is get ready to suck and in, be very comfortable with sucking right. be very comfortable with like with yeah i'm just not the best like going to the club and going hey maybe i'll never be the best here maybe i like i go to the fucking store all the time and i'm like i'm like a really good stand up and and i i'm constantly 10th best stand-up of the night right, like right. i'm like i'm like wait hold on i'm selling tickets i'm like i'm really good at what i do but never I, i'm like there's always at least 10 people better than me and by the way there's not even there's like five people that that night just blow me out of the water that is a little swing boat of like right. the people that i go whoa that's you know honestly dude that's one of the reasons that i wanted to go back to stand-up was f like i wanted to earn it yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can't fake it. You can't. You you have to go. You have to earn it, man. You got to earn your stripes. And I wanted to, I wanted to get to a point. And I knew it wouldn't be easy. You yeah. know, like I wanted to get to a point where guys that were real stand-ups would go, "No, you're a comic." You yeah. know what I mean? Not just I can do well in front of an audience because there's a difference. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like. You know, like in anything, you can see somebody um, uh, do something and, uh, you know, like whatever, extreme sports or something. There's guys that we might consider great skateboard riders. But the best skateboard ride, skateboarders in the world would look at them and go, uh, dude, it's a bit of a hack. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like you just like that was what I wanted. I wanted that humility. I wanted to climb the the ladder again and 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 earn my way back into that world. It's a tough it's a tough um it's a tough group because you know it's like it i yeah i spend a lot of time and nowadays i spend more time in stand-up than i ever have i not i probably spent more when i was younger but like i, I spend my time talking to more stand-ups and right. doing more stand-up and talking about the art form and and it's it's i feel like i just got to be cool I got to be cool always sucking. Like, I don't like, is that, if that makes any sense, like I go, I don't know if I ever want to be Bill, you know, or Louie or like, like, I mean, obviously, obviously everyone's going to hear that with Louie being negative, but like, but Louie is still one of the best that ever did it. And despite what right. you think of what he did, his, his standup. You got to be able to separate dumb. out the person from his level of artistry because his level of artistry is he, yeah. and he was very vulnerable and, and it's like a Lena Dunham-esque, you know, kind of artistry i don't know it's hard to explain and it's hard to quantify to someone who's not going to get it who just goes i don't know man jacked off for the chicks i don't do it and you're like yeah yeah i know i know you also don't sell out madison square garden right like, there's a little bit of that brokenness that is that like you don't want to know all the secrets like everyone romanticizes Chappelle di disappearing to um to south africa i guarantee you dave Chappelle's. there's a lot of that he doesn't want anyone to know because right. it's not pretty and it's not sexy and it's not the allure that it is because he's a real artist who was breaking at the time. Yeah. And like, there's parts of every artist you don't want to know this, the dirty secret. 
And and Louis shared a lot of his dirty secret. Did you know Louis coming up? Yeah, I mean that was uh, Louis was one of the dudes that, you know, when I was in New York, it was Louis and Attell and you know um, Dave Chappelle and yeah. Ray Romano and um, you know I mean it was it, it it was I remember being in like uh, the Comedy Cellar and. Uh, in like the early 90s mid 90s like 92 93 and you know 15 people in the audience and i remember going like it dawning on me like oh my god wait a minute we are gonna be the guys that go on to write and star in the sitcoms and the movies of this generation isn't that and so like, funny you know like comedy not to get you know grandiose about it but comedy is a very very important role in a culture it's almost mm-hmm. like the conscience of a culture right because what you are what you are holding up for people to laugh at describes who those people are and what resonates with them. And, and like, you know, comedy surged during the great depression because people fucking needed it. And so like, I had this moment as like a 26 year old drunken club comic of going like, there's something kind of important in what we're doing here. Like there's some nobility in being the guys that, you know, that go through this process to go on and, you know, entertain millions of people. Like we're all going to go on to have our moment. Sort of that, like with the guys that don't stop are going to get there. I said that I was with Dimitri Martin and I, and I, and Ray Romano had hired a tell to fly out, for $25,000 to punch up uh, an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond or a few episodes of Everybody right. Loves Raymond. <clears throat> and Dimitri said, you know, if we just don't quit, we succeed. And I was like, what? And he goes, if we just stick with it yeah. and keep coming to the clubs and keep writing jokes and keep working hard, we just succeed. Right. And I was like, really? He goes, all of us. Isn't that crazy? And I was like, I was like, yeah, as long as you don't quit, the guys who quit are the ones who didn't succeed. I don't know one person that Dimitri Martin and I started with like with like roughly like five comics. One was this guy's name is Justin. I don't know what happened to Justin. He quit. Okay? He quit. Don't know where he is. Right. One was Ed owns Helms. A, owns a Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. One was Ed Helms. One <laughs> with, was David J. Nash. One was Dimitri and one was me. Now, I am the least successful of the four, but I am pretty successful considering that like Ed, like those are the people that started in that club at the time, dude. And you know, look, you you said it earlier, like you were talking about, you know, humility and and like gratitude. Like those are, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that, like, I know it sounds like um, all TED talky, but like humility, gratitude honesty service and hard work like those are the things that i try to really base my life on you know what i mean like those those are the things that i strive for um and um and i find like if i can be true to that uh my life sings a lot more you know if i if i just stay humble stay grateful um you know stay honest try to help everybody around me you know what i mean try to be a good guy and um and and work my ass off i'll be fine yeah well no wait so so what was like 
what was like a bottom for you? Like where you're like, where you're like, shit, man, what if I don't get another gig? Like, did you ever have those? Yeah. Moments? Like, so I rat. So after I did a, after that ABC thing and I turned down America's funniest, I did a, you know, a bunch of, uh, like I have in my kitchen, I have a cabinet with like so many coffee mugs from failed projects oh. and pilots with my name on them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I have, the television show with John Henson, the John Henson Project, Talk Soup with John Henson, the television show with John Henson. Like, yeah. it's just fucking... And I keep them around. It's like a, you know, it's like a the tombstones of my career, you know? <laughs> um, but... Uh, I wish I'd... I was... I got very early, I got turned off from swag because I thought I was so, like... I, w I wanted to be so, like, disconnected from it. Dude, and, I, and I wish, now I wish I had an X show hat and I had a, like, a. Let me tell you something. Stuff. I did a show on Spike TV called The John Henson Project. I only ran 13 episodes, but we got tote bags made and I have, like, I have a box of them. And I'll give you one. It's the greatest <laughs> fucking. If you can be the guy oh. that has the John Henson Project stitched on the side of your tote bag, it's got a yeah. separate zipper compartment for the shoes. Fucking amazing. By the time I got to Travel Channel, I would call them and go, hey, can you? send me a swag bag right and they gave the travel channel back when they had money had some fucking legit yeah swag there was this lady anna who's i'm still friends with and she would be in charge of swag and she would be like i'm making uh i'm making timbuk three bags that are embroidered with travel channel how many do you want and you'd be like ah 40 yeah oh it was uh yeah and so i have everything travel channel oh it's um, so much but fun. that was the best they they sent me a they sent me uh, I mean, they, they, their their swag was the best. I got a, a Travel Channel GoPro. I got a Travel Channel iPad. I got a Travel Channel. Like they would just yeah. put yeah. the emblem Anything. on it. I uh, so I had this show called the John Henson Project on Spike TV. Um, I'd done a pilot for Sony, a talk show pilot for Sony that didn't go. And they kept extending it because they were sure that they could sell it. Oh, just another month. And, yeah. then, and then after a while, they give me so much money. They go, just give us two more weeks for free. And I just to see what would happen. I go, I tell you what, I'll give you two weeks for free. If in failure, all the rights and the material revert back to me yeah. and I own it again. And they were like, all right, if we can't sell it, he's not going to sell it. And they didn't sell it. And I took that pilot and walked it right over to spike TV and sold it. Yeah. And, uh, so before, right before I start production, they go, Oh, by the way, uh, we just became the first network for men. So just do me a favor and just make that instead of like a pop culture talk show, make it like the man show, but don't go as far as the man show because we can't really go as far as the man. I'm like, wait, what? You know? Yeah. So the show did not end up being what I intended it to be, but we did a lot of really fun shit. And on that show, um, I did a, a, a segment where I, I asked who, in the audience, who, which one of my viewers would be willing to get the John Henson Project tattooed on them, yeah. right? Dude, there were like 400 people that responded to the <laughs> ad, right? And, and like, you know, easily 150 people followed up on it and were like, no, I will do it, right? Yeah. So we got this kid, uh, this kid Tyler from uh, Nebraska. This kid was... Uh, he was savage. He had pierced his own nipples. Uh, he had uh, given himself a Prince Albert. 
Ooh. Right? And then he had taken a fucking razor blade and bifurcated his own tongue. Like he literally split his own tongue down my, the middle. My so, asshole's tingling. <laughs> at this point, my my buddies and I were like, honestly, I feel like this is a step in the right direction for yeah, this kid, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, this yeah, is yeah. we're we're like, this is I'm helping reform him. This we're, is the most uh most uh uh, sa- the safest thing this yeah. kid's ever done. This is, I'm bringing him back to the mainstream, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we fly him out. Gets this fucking tattoo on his back, and I mean, it's big, right? It's big. The John Henson Project. Four days later, the show was canceled. Oh, I'd love to get a picture of that. <laughs> so, now, so, I'm, so years later, I'm in Nebraska, and a restaurant, and this woman walks up to me and she goes, "Are you John Henson?" And I go. Yeah, and she goes, my brother has his uh, has your name tattooed on his back, and I go, oh, oh yeah, hey, how's he doing? She goes, not good, not good. He's <laughs> dropped out of college, dealing drugs, gone to jail a couple times. Really? I was like, will you tell him I said hi? You know, like all I think of is this poor guy getting like you know oh. plugged in the ass in prison, and somebody reading my name John on his Hanks back. Pro- you mean the guy from Talk Soup? <laughs> Is that who that is? Do you know him? Poor guy. I met him. What do you mean, met him? <laughs> My buddy goes, uh, ah, no, he's fine. He probably covered that shit up with a swastika. He's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just put swastikas on each corner of the brand. Hey, what? So wait, when when you got that when that show got done did you think so i yeah and then i was like oh man like i just you know uh i don't know what i'm gonna do and then i got a job uh which was like for me probably like the woo you talk about eating shit cash checks uh i was hosting a show for tv guide channel which was like you know i used I to that. i used to tell people that i had two-thirds of a television channel or two-thirds <laughs> of a tv show because the last third was the scroll telling yeah. you all the better shit on other channels that you should go watch and i had of friends i had friends who worked on that who did that i had one that did that for direct tv yeah yeah that was a that's a that was a legit gig so but it was like you know i mean i ran my own show i was executive producer and head writer and you know um banging out a daily show man and uh and then that ended and uh like eight months later i booked wipeout what was uh, that how was the what was what was the audition like for wipeout it was um my manager called me goes i was getting ready to go my 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 um my now wife, who was then my girlfriend, and I were beginning, uh, we're getting ready to go on a trip to Europe. We're going to Italy and France. Um, because when you're out of work, it's probably I've just done it. throw a shitload of money at a European vacation. 13 grand. Yeah. I dropped 13 grand <laughs> without a job in, and I was like, oh, I got 26 grand left. Let's spend half this on a trip to Italy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We got it. Might yeah. as well spend it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Might never get a chance to do it again. You got it. Um, so they, they were like, uh, well, it's just, you know, it's you're just making fun of people doing shit on video and i was like oh well, all right i know how to do that and i go is there are there any sides i go no it's all improv so i go in and uh i'd love, I'd love that audition and they they you know i like they showed the it was like a four minute clip you know and they showed it to me and the guy goes uh all right you want to take a minute and i go no bro let's go you know and um i just riffed it and um and i I did the, uh, I got this, I, I need to give a tell the, uh, the shout out for this because I did the, uh, uh, or maybe, yeah, no, I guess it wasn't a tell. It was, it was Larry Bird. Uh, when Larry Bird did the, uh, three point competition, do you ever hear the story? No. I walked in, there was like a room of guys getting ready to audition. I did it not to be a dick. Like I did yeah. it to be funny. Um, 
But I go, which one of you assholes is coming in second? You ever hear that story about Larry no. Bird? He walked into the locker room during the uh, All-Star game, and they were getting ready to do the three-point competition. And he walked into the locker room and goes, which one of you assholes is coming in second? Really? Yeah. And I did it just as a joke, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But, you know, I walked in, I did the, I, you know, I did it once, and the guy goes, do you want to do it again? I go, nope, I'm good, you know? And I, and I literally, the next day, jumped on a plane, and I was like... Playing it out in my head, I was like, oh, they're going to fucking call me and they're going to say they want to see me again and I'm going to have to pay to break my fucking ticket. I'm yeah. going to have to fly home at my own expense, ruin my vacation. I'm not going to get it. Like, that's the way shit goes in this business. Uh, very much so. And uh, and uh, I was asleep in Paris and the phone rang in the middle of the night and it was my ex-wife. And she goes, hey... Uh, I just want to let you know, I just became vice president of ABC. I wanted to tell you before the news broke. And I go, fuck, man. I'm up. For, like, we had just gotten divorced like a year earlier. Yeah. You know? And I go, I'm up for a fucking job at ABC. And she goes, I know. And that's, that's why I wanted you to hear from me. And I go, all right, well, congratulations. You know, and I hung up and I called my manager and I go, God damn it, man. Can you believe she just became fucking vice president of ABC? And he goes, are you sitting down? And I go, yeah. And he goes, you just booked Wipeout. And I, I was quiet for a second. I go, that is the only thing you could have told me to make me feel better. <laughs> that is literally the only thing, you know? Oh. So, uh, so that was it, man. I came home and started Wipeout. And that was like, uh, that was a trip in and of itself. Because when I started the show, they didn't want to do any jokes you know really no man i was like i thought i was gonna get fired the first season because i didn't do the pilot somebody else did the pilot and they replaced him for the series so when i got it i was already it was like already picked up it was gonna i don't know they were gonna do like 11 episodes that summer and um and uh and i remember like they would say in these words they were like dude See dog, say dog. If Bert's running up the stairs, I want you to go. There's Bert running up the stairs. Stop fucking trying to distract people with your jokes. This, oh, you're, that's what you made are, it so great. They were like, you're not, you're not the star of this show. The courses, you just stay out of the way. You know what I mean? Oh, that's Stop. such an and horrible note. And I was like, I go, dude, I, I feel like stupid people and children will watch this show if we just lay in a music bed. Why not layer in some jokes and like try to loop in a more discerning audience? Or just you know? or, like that was the best part. That was the best part of the show was was the 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 subtle uh uh what could possibly go wrong here yeah i mean it was like and in the first season we had to fight and i mean like there were raised voice arguments really? to fight for john anderson my co-host and i to have one back and forth in an episode like one i say something he says something i say something like just that back and forth joke was like that was we fought for that and then as the as the summer went on it started becoming more popular and then like in some of the reviews people started talking about the writing and then like all of a sudden you know they started letting out the leash a little bit and then by third season it was just fucking jailbreak and they would let us do whatever we want and i'm wearing wigs and costumes and doing yeah. characters and shit and what was the name of the girl Jill Wagner. Jill Wagner. God, Jill Wagner. What's she doing now? She is doing movies for Hallmark Channel. 
Really? And uh, yeah, and she just got married this year. She's awesome. Jill, Jill Wagner was her interviews were so good. Yeah, she was the thing that made Jill Wagner so good that I people don't really I don't know if they can appreciate is that that was a girl who all she knew how to do was be herself. Like she, all you know she, what I mean? Like she, I would I would even argue uh, like. A, and I wouldn't say a bad host, but a not a not cultured, refined host. Not a po- she was just, just literally herself. looking off camera at times. Yeah, to cameraman. Like, yeah. are we done? Yeah, like it was, and it was. You know, it, it's it's. I mean, you know, because you do it right. But the hardest thing in the fucking world is to be yourself oh. with the lights on and the cameras pointed at you, and people go go, and you're just supposed to be who you are and not be affected in some way that's hard to do yeah. you know and um so i thought wagner was phenomenal at it and you know the 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 course was insane the contestants were insane you know you had to peel me off the ceiling like all we needed was a really pretty girl to be herself and laugh at how ridiculous she was so was. good like yeah. she was she, her interviews were like uh, like yeah i don't think this is going anywhere yeah okay she left that show after like the fourth season i want to say and uh then they brought in vanessa manillo at the time vanessa lachey Mm -hmm. and she did a season and then they brought jill back and that was like the only time i can ever think of someone quitting a hit show and then getting their job back like we're 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 at a level from the production company to the network everyone had to agree to eat a little crow and be like no it's better with her we should go back to her yeah you know what i mean that's crazy now and you did how many seasons seven but two of those years we did multiple seasons a year so like we did we did one was winter and summer wipeout then we did one that was we did winter into spring into summer wipeout we were on twice a week on in prime time on abc for nine consecutive months i i remember the feeling i got when we go it's a new wipeout and my daughters would they would stand on the arm of the couch and we'd hit them with a pillow and they'd go here comes the motivate that was so fucking funny what were the stereotypes that you would assimilate with because you watched every episode you had to watch every episode because you wrote every episode right what were the like i know for a fact whenever we saw big black women that they would never do well on the balls. Vonti McRae to this day uh, is my girl. That is the single greatest. When people say, what's the, there's a couple of clips when people go, what's the best you've ever seen? I think of Vonti McRae. Vonti McRae. Uh, yeah, Vonti McRae, uh, V-O-N-T-I, um, and I think it's M-C, and then I don't know if it's K-R-A-Y or C-R-A-Y, but, um, or C-R-A-E, but she, um, bigger girl, and uh and she she got hit by the motivator oh my god right this might be my favorite clip ever and that she the um, like there was so much mud stuck in her cleavage that when she got hit it was like her cleavage it was like her tits became a flume ride and she just mud shot out of her one-piece bathing suit and (laughs) gave her like a facial vonti mccray 
it was That's the greatest thing I've ever seen, man. Like it, it just you couldn't tell that there was mud in her bathing suit, but when she got hit, just mud shot out of her cleavage into her face. Oh, Vonty McRae was so great. She might be the best motivator ever. The uh the other one that I love was cuz we were always trying to um you know, shout out to Vonty McRae. Yeah. Uh dude, the people got fucked up on that show. Did, did right? anyone ever get hurt? Oh. 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 Bert. Oh yeah. Really? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Real? Oh yeah. Like, you know, I always tell people whenever like if you're watching an old episode of Wipeout and it's like, oh, so and so quits, it's like, no, nobody quits. Yeah. That means that means something's dangling, you know what I mean? We gotta fish you out of the water Dude, with a hook. I did I did uh uh Wipeout started doing the um the 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 it's, I forget what it's called, but it's the raft where you sit on it and then something jumps. Oh, on yeah, yeah, it yeah. Shoots yeah. You up in the air. I did that and I blew out both my hamstrings. Oh, man. I blew out, tore out both my hamstrings. Wait, here comes Vontae McRae on the motivator. My daughters and I must have watched this a million fucking times. It's the greatest. Oh, my God. This one clip, my daughters and I must have watched a million fucking times. I remember times. running into Knoxville, Johnny Knoxville, one night and he was oh. like, uh, he goes, I love Wipeout. I go, dude, it seems so tame compared to what you guys did on Jackass. And he goes, yeah, you know, it's just fun to watch people get smoked. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's really all it is. Oh, Vontae McRae. But uh, we were always trying to get references in, like, you know, they were real protective about what um, you could say in reference to people getting jacked. You know what really? I mean? Like, they didn't, you know, nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets hurt. You know what I mean? They wanted to At, keep you, it. You know, they wanted it. So um, we would, we had like, a, if you face planted so hard that your back bowed up and the soles of your feet yeah. touched the back of your head right yeah that was we called that a scorpion because that was like the yeah. you know what i mean yeah. you'd make that scorpion uh body so uh this woman face planted so hard it was the single most brutal scorpion i've ever seen and she just lay there flat for a second and i go oh my god do we need to get new jobs now and then she <laughs> pops up and i go no we're good and they're like no 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 so were you commentating live or would you no 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 we would like you know they would because there was like 60 cameras and they'd have to get the you know edit out the dead shit and get the best stuff together where and did then, you shoot that uh, they shot it up in uh, Santa Clarita. Really? And then they'd get it to us, and we would, you know, the writers would, uh, you know, they'd give everybody a, a nickname, a handle that we would hang all the jokes off of, you know. So Jill Wagner would shoot her stuff. She, she was there. An she and was then there. You'd, and we you'd were, pretend to. Yeah, we were oh, in a green wow. screen and just, God. you know, but we were working. Anderson would fly in to do the green screens. I was in the office working on the writing. And so we would, you know, you'd like, you'd be the party animal or, you know, yeah. I mean, you'd be the machine. And then every joke would be a machine oriented joke or that kind of stuff and I but, wanted uh, to be on that so bad so we would you know we and, and that was the thing like it's you know it's reality tv so you can't there's no writers yeah right there's no nobody writes reality tv yeah they're not gonna pay you know so um people would be like do you improv that show i'm like yeah no we just fucking <laughs> seamlessly improvise 60 minutes of one-liners just back to back ever just whew, did I'm it again quickest man in america yeah no not, never a moment of uh you know silence never <laughs> never one joke that you know doesn't work like yeah uh, but uh but so we would you know we would just go over and over and over and over and we i used to say we would probably write 
Like, you know, Talk Soup and Wipeout really made me, I think, a better writer because uh, Talk Soup was like, you know, forced you to be prolific. If you get it in the morning and you didn't like the script or you didn't like a joke, you'd be like, well, you know, you got 45 minutes till you shoot it. So you better start writing, you know, and then yeah. and then you couldn't mourn anything because you were just always working on the next show. Yeah. And then with Wipeout, we had nine different executives that had veto power over every single joke. Oh, and they didn't Lord. there was no table read you know half the time they were listening to an editor read a temp track so it wasn't even my delivery so if you know and they would just send it out it was like so if you're sitting in a room with nine people and i tell a joke and you don't think it's funny but you hear seven other people laugh you're like no i guess that's all right but if you're just sitting in your office and you and you just even write on and a note like so much as a question mark next to the joke, you're like is this funny? It's out. Nine different really? people. So we would probably write ten jokes for every joke that made it in. So we started getting hip to that. And if I really like something, I would hold it out of the script, and I would be like, oh. you know, I'm gonna improvise this the day of the uh the shoot so smart you know and then if they could hear me read it you know and it got a laugh on the floor there was a better chance that it would stay in my biggest mistake i ever learned in television was i would put all my good jokes in the rehearsal so when i do the show right i would it would they'd 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 fall flat Right. And well, the and it's your comic, drop. right? So if you treat everything like you're trying to bring it every performance. Yeah, and then I'd write new jokes for the fucking... Uh, yeah. I, I was with the, one of the guys from The Impractical Jokers was a producer on one of my TV shows. Uh, Murr was a... And and he was like, yeah, 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 rehearsals were so much better than the live show. And I was like, yeah, because I was trying to improv. I was improv in the rehearsal right. and it would kill. And then I'd be like, oh, I'll just improv. But I'd already dropped all the first good jokes. Yeah, that was, I got in trouble on Talk Soup because my executive producer used to be like, do that bit that you did. You know, if a take busted, I wouldn't repeat the joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she was like, do that fucking joke again. I was like, these guys have seen it, dude. And she's like, yeah, yeah the audience hasn't seen it. And I was like, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a fucking fraud if I'm trying to pass off something i just did you know yeah, what i mean yeah, like yeah. it didn't feel authentic to me oh, i get married to that shit way too much so wait what 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 was the end of wipeout like could you we see just, it coming we uh yeah we were like it almost got canceled and then we got one more season season seven what i what i call uh wipeout season seven cash grab yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so that was like the season where it was like we were just you know, like I that year, my wife had had a, a, a birthday party where the theme was this is a great fucking theme. You guys should definitely steal it if you're listening. She did a, a themed birthday party. Come dressed. It was a costume party. Come dressed as the celebrity that you share your birthday with. Oh, that's how fucking brilliant. great is that? So look up who it was. Who look up who you... Okay. So my wife went as like 1970s share, like long, dark hair, you know, exposed midriff, you know, quasi-American Indian share. Yeah. And I went as Yule fucking Brenner from The King and I. Really? And, and I had a friend of mine who is a, um, like a, who, who you got? Who? <laughs> I can tell you who I'm going as. Who? Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> yes! It's so easy! I mean, Colin in a great... and I Now I gotta so really support him. Gabe Newell. Oh, these are fucking internet stars, too. 
That's so great, Kaepernick. All you got to do is put on the uniform and a Roseanne big Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr and I have the same birthday. Oh, man. So you got some choices. Adolf Dassler? <laughs> the Adolf Dassler? Yeah, who's he? Uh, well, we... Uh, so I had a friend who worked in um, oh, he, makeup oh, and Adolf film. Oh, Adolf Dassler. You know who Adolf Dassler is? No. Adidas. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I just watched... I think they have a movie coming out about him. Really? Yeah, because I just was like, wait... Because it was two brothers that created a, a Adidas. Cain and Abel. He killed his brother Dave Hassler. No, you ready for this? You're going to go, shut up. Uh, they got into a fight. One of them kept Adidas. The other one kept, started. Pony? Puma. Puma. Oh, man. <laughs> I know, right? Wow. I know. I was like, shut up. That's so, yeah. pretty amazing. I, yeah, I was. I don't. How did I just. I think there's a. Uh, Oh, it was... Uh, That's awesome. It's a movie I was watching, I think maybe about Jesse... Uh, Jesse... Jesse Owens. Yeah, Jesse Owens. And Jesse Owens' coach got him Adidas running shoes right before the thing, and their Nazi yeah. party had a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, yeah. no. So your um, wife threw so, this party. So, but I, so I did this. Uh, I, had a, I had a friend who was a, a Hollywood makeup artist come and give me like a full-on movie-level bald cap. Yeah. And it was so... Good, dude. I mean, it was so... I probably got a picture I can show you. It was so freaking good that literally before it was even finished, sitting in the makeup chair before the party, I called the fucking executive producer of Wipeout and I go, dude, we have to do a fucking bald cap show. And he goes, why? And I go, who fucking cares why? It's yeah. hilarious, you know? <laughs> and he goes, I don't understand. Why would you be bald? I go, I'll make up a reason, dude. Don't just trust me. And so they let me do it, man. They let really? me do like a, they let me do a bald cap show. And I, I mean, it was like the whole thing. I think it started out with me being like, uh, uh, um, I think it was something like, John, I've come up with a revolutionary hair loss product. And he's like, you know, that's supposed to grow hair, right? And I was like, uh, okay you know like and <laughs> yeah. it, so, but like and then over the course of it i was growing my hair back i don't know it was really weird but it was fun man it was just like that last season we were letting it all hang out it was um that was probably my favorite season creatively like we just did stuff that i just you know was howling over man. oh that's such a it's such a fun feeling it was you know we worked really hard to like serve up jokes for kids watching and then like every once in a while just fire a fastball over kids heads that was entirely for the parents yeah. you know and uh like i remember there was a guy who did uh his character was the uh the justin bieber fan he was like a grown man i was a psychotic justin bieber fan and um and so uh i did a i did a bit where in one of the green screens, uh, John Anderson and I are doing a read, and I hear uh, ice cream truck, and I go, ice cream! And I go running off stage, and then I come back sort of like looking a little messed up and confused and sad, and he goes, what's the matter? And I go, it wasn't the ice cream truck, it was the... It was the ringtone on the Justin Bieber fan cell phone. <laughs> and he goes, yeah? And I go, yeah. He said he had a bomb pop. <laughs> But he didn't, and uh, and it was just this weird like, whoa, what just happened on yeah. this family friendly show? And so that summer, my wife and I go out to eat at Katsuya, the sushi restaurant. This guy comes over to me, and goes, "Hey, you, John Henson?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "I'm the Justin Bieber fan." I was like, "Oh shit, what if? What is he? What kind of sauce has he put on my sushi?" Oh, you know, that's crazy. Now, what what did what was the like what when what was your 
your uh not uh what's what is it called? Uh, what is it called when a gymnast sticks her landing? Her uh, not assault dismount. Uh, dismount. What was your dismount and what was your plan when you dismounted? Were you like, let's take a break. Let's let's not. I don't need. Oh, uh, dude, you know this is. You'll get this as a married man, man. Uh, after that show ended, my wife and I go out to dinner. We do a date night every week. And we're sitting at dinner, and I'm like, you know bouncing off the walls like you know I don't, you know maybe maybe i'll write a movie i've never written a movie you know yeah i write a sitcom i've never written a sitcom maybe i'll write a sitcom and my wife gets real quiet you know and i go what and she looks up at me and she goes just fucking host television shows what the fuck is wrong with you people want you to host television yeah. shows you're good at it they pay you good money why do you have to pick the one fucking thing no one wants you to do <laughs> i just started laughing i was like you're a good woman thank you very much rogan and burr said that to me uh one night behind at the in the green room at the store they were like uh they're like well hey man like your show's not that great like why don't you just do stand-up that's the only thing you're good at and i was like Huh? And they're like, I mean, you're not. I mean, it's nice to have a TV show and all, but like, how much money do you need? Like, just do stand up. I was like, yeah, I guess I am better at stand up than I am at hosting mediocre branded content. Like, right. Like, I should just do. And I'm, and then I fell off a waterfall, and all my fans were like, Hey, man, we don't watch your show. All we like is your podcast and your stand up. Just stick with that. What you fell off a waterfall on the show? Yeah, I fell off a waterfall on. Uh, how far? Uh, Fifteen feet. Under my back. Under what? On a rock. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was, it was really bad. You landed on your back on, on rock. Back, yeah. And it was, uh, it was really bad. And, um, and, uh, I'm surprised you didn't split your head open. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't break my back. There's a lot I'm surprised I didn't do. Uh, but, were you a little lubed up? Was that it? Was it no. sort of like the drunk driving accident? The guy doesn't get hurt because he's so <laughs> no. so limp. I was definitely hung over from the night before, but no, I was not. Right. Uh, I was actually I was in a really great mood that day because, I, except I had a panic attack. So my dry suit was a, a size large, and I was an extra large, so it was really tight on me. So I was having panic about being in this dry suit. Um, but other than that, I just fell and uh, and and uh, I posted a picture of myself in a neck brace on instagram and saying that i gotten hurt and the comments were like hey man we no one gives a fuck about your stupid shows oh, like man. no one cares about your show they're like stop hurting yourself stop putting yourself in these situations that's sweet that you get that kind of love up. from your fans and you're like and part of me was like well, but wouldn't you watch it a little bit like, like <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah all you hear is the negative yeah. i put hey guys i thought that uh, you know I put a lot of work into yeah. this show the network's notes were really good and the network chose to move a different direction and keep me on the network and i think might have been the best thing that ever happened in my career right I'm so grateful to them for that because I'm. I would have stuck around the network. I would have just kept doing. It was just. It was a. It was a sure. It's easy to take the path of least resistance, man. It was very easy, and and I was not. I'm a least resistance guy, and uh, it's been one year since I've been on that network. I'm. I've made more money this year than I'd ever made in my life, and how I was awesome like, is that? I was, yeah, and I and. And it's, Probably more creatively fulfilling. Too, oh, a hundred percent more creatively fulfilling. I've had more fun online. I've had more fun with the podcast. I feel like I feel autonomous. I feel like no one can fire me, which right. is a really nice feeling. I don't feel like I have to say things within uh, in context to what the network wants to yeah, hear me. You don't say. have to compromise at all creatively. I, I and I wouldn't have a problem. Like I, I got took a meeting with Game Show Network um, right after I got out, and they were like, um, 
well, you know, we want you to do this show. And I was like, eh, I'm going to pass. And then my manager was like, just so you know, they shoot them in like two weeks. That's the thing, man. I did a, I did a limited run for a, a test run for a, a game show, first run syndicated game show created by Judge Judy this summer. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, first of all, that woman just prints money in her basement. Yeah. And second of all, you know, you shoot uh, 34 weeks of it in two and a half months, you and, know, and, and then you and just tour and... And then you're done. And it's, by the way, like I was talking to someone... I remember someone, I won't say his name, but he was like, he told me he made $700,000 in like a month because he just did the one show mm -hmm. and they just shot like fucking three episodes a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yep. And he just shot the whole, and I was like, in my head, I was like, I could do that for a month. That's it. A month. And then two weekends a month on the road and you know what i mean i like for, I, I like where i am right now creatively with where i i don't feel like like i felt like when i did my last special i was still under the thumb of travel channel right and i was a little nervous and then by the time it aired we had parted ways but i was like one curious if that was the reason they we parted ways oh because you were going to do a stand-up special it was, was coming out in november and they were like i think we're done with you because they were like we don't want to be responsible for what fucking content like and so, right, your career as a stand-up was getting big enough that it might cast a shadow on what they were doing, and yeah, and now I'm, I mean, not to say this air, like arrogantly, but I'm bigger than the network in a whole. Oh yeah, like I, I, I do this thing Google Trends where you can tell uh, the popularity of things online. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. And uh, Anthony Bourdain left Travel Channel when he was bigger than them on Google Trends. Oddly enough, the day he left. He was bigger than Travel Channel. And I thought to myself, note to self, if I ever get to a place where I'm getting bigger than the network, I should leave. Right. And then, uh, sure enough, two months after they fired me, I was bigger than the network on Google Trends. And I was like, <sighs> right. I think I, I was like, I think that network might have been holding me down. Right, right. And, yeah. And so, like, I, I'm big on Google Trends. Everyone that listens to the podcast knows that I, I fucking. I, oh, I'm, I'm even afraid to look and see how irrelevant I am. No, it's not. It just it's not it's not a fair representation. I have to say that because I do notice that if I am putting out more content, meaning like it it just is, it also is very vastly affected if you're putting out content on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Right. If you're doing big podcasts, like if I do, you know, uh, Rogan on one week, then all of a sudden I'll notice that my Google Trends will spike. If Tom and I get into a heated uh, argument on right. online right. that's a joke argument that'll go big right um like if you do like ellie in the morning or cowherd or like a big radio show preston and steve that'll go big and then if you have big ticket sales like uh like i just added a second show to the wilbur along right. with the fish show the truck and so that all of a sudden is, right pops up it's worth a, th a thousand extra people going i'm curious to what he's doing dude i was trying to get a hold of tommy when he was talking about steven seagal because i got a great steven seagal story. what's your steven seagal story so um I haven't mentioned any names, but um, so I know a dude uh, who I used to be close with years ago, real like wacky left wing 60s lawyer, dropout, retired yeah. at 50, um, married a former uh, Thai prostitute and moved back to her village in Thailand. Right. Yeah. Um, bought himself a fucking compound in Thailand. This dude is out there, right? So 
giant 12 foot high walled in compound four or five houses um built himself a scale monolith from 2001 it's like 20 feet tall built himself a 20 foot high steel reinforced chicago cubs baseball with a logo on it you know what i mean this guy like he's just out of control right and all he does is just sit around and smoke hash all day i really like this he used to come and see me in la and i would get him like a quarter pound of just the most rank california skunk weed and he would be packing it up to bring it back to thailand i'm like dude it's a fucking killing offense in thailand yeah you gotta be able to get thai stick out there and he goes dude I'm the only person in the world that's ever smuggled drugs into Thailand. Yeah. So he had this whole system, right? So he'd bring back footlockers. He'd come here and get supplies and stuff, you know, you know, canned soup and shit and, you know, toiletries. And, and then he would bury this weed at the bottom of it. And then he would make sure on the top of every single, right at the top of every footlocker, he would make sure that whatever it was when they opened it up, it was something that they would want, right? Like he would have like 20 bottles of Jack Daniels, like just 20 fifths of Jack Daniels or like he would buy like 400 glow sticks. Right. And, and you know, they would open it up and be like, what's this? And he'd be like, snap, shake it up and it would glow. And they'd be like, Oh, and he'd be like, here, here's 70 of them. They'd be like, fucking, you can go. You know what I mean? So he had it like, you know, he had a buddy that, you know, this French dude who owns a fucking brothel in, uh, in, in Bangkok, like the premier brothel for what they call Falong white foreigners and um fucking big yellow line painted down the the wall you go in there and you ring the bell and the girls come and line up like 30 girls on the wall girls on the left side of the wall two input girls on the right side of the wall three input like you take two at a time i mean this dude was out there yeah and uh you know they had it wired man they'd meet him on the fucking tarmac he never you know so uh i would go see this guy and uh and he would be like uh hey um i thought we would like uh bribe burmese officials and take a dragon boat up the mekong river and go to an illegal casino and play baccarat and i'd be like fuck yeah man let's do it like the next thing you know we're giving our passports like a 18 year old kid with a submachine gun and you know taking a dragon boat up to mekong i mean it was just insane the shit that we did with this guy right um you know just getting so high our eyes were bleeding and flying these giant remote controlled planes out in the fucking rice paddies and stuff and um my brother flew one of those <laughs> those planes into his house, like did a total fucking nine eleven. Like it was, he was like, "Man, turn it, turn it." And he's like, oh, "I got it, I got it." Right in the house, explodes. A Randy Rhodes. Yeah, totally. And then he was, and he's like, "Don't worry, I got another one." Came out of the house like five minutes later. We were so that guy uh, became friends with Steven Seagal, right? Of course, and Steven Seagal. I don't know. Am I? Allegedly, Steven Seagal uh, wanted his help. Uh, and by the way, this dude had like three or four wives. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he said Steven Seagal wanted help building like a giant palace for himself where he could go and bang underage women. 
that was his thing. He wanted to go to Thailand. That seems brand friendly with him, right? <laughs> and and he wanted to get himself, oh you know, God, a little a little mama son, you know, and uh, and he was like, you know, the guy was like, yeah, yeah, I'll help you get a house and stuff. And then he was like, can you, you know, can you help me find some underage women? He's like, no, nah, I can't, you know, I'm out. And the guy's like, I'm gonna. Steve was like, I'm gonna pass on the palace then, right? <laughs> I mean, but is I mean that's like that's fucking crazy. Isn't that crazy that he was like willing to throw money at a fuck pad in Thailand just so that he could go there and bang underage chicks? I yeah, I think I think I'm too much of a father to ever. I'm if if I was gonna build a fuck pad in Thailand, it would be forty uh, five year old women just younger than my wife, right. not much younger than my wife, <laughs> right. with just different attributes. Like I'd want one with no tits. I'd want one with a big fat ass. I want one right. with a tiny ass. Yeah, one with big fat tits. One with a real broad nose. Like I would just look for. Well, it's a weird cultural thing there. Like up north in the jungle, they were the women. You know, it's it's a patriarchal society. So you're you're supposed to provide for your parents. Your you know your grandparents. You're supposed to support them. Yeah. And a lot of these guys will sell their daughters into prostitution. Oh, that breaks my fucking. And heart. so this guy would literally like if he found out somebody in a neighboring town was thinking about selling their daughter into prostitution he would go and buy her from the parents and then just let her live in his compound yeah I, that's that I, yeah that fucking kills me that, that 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 that's one of the things that I, I can never really rectify is the people in this country that piss and moan about you know the way like the louis thing and how that is that is such a such an atrocity and i'm like yeah but like no i'm not saying that you shouldn't focus on that right. it was bad it was really bad and it was it was a bad work environment for a lot of women and wasn't cool what he did it was uh, a bad look for him i think professionally um I, but but you know if you spent just a, an iota of that energy on helping these poor young girls not get enslaved into sex prostitution right. you could really be doing better for the world for i got the, shit for a louis joke on i finally broke down and wrote a louis joke what was on that? twitter i just i mean it was you know i couldn't help it i was it was last saturday i think i was at uh comedy works and i i just wrote a louis ck brought a whole new meaning to the term standing o <laughs> somebody was like oh, i'm really disappointed in that joke uh, i was like I get it, bro, but it's a good joke, you know? I, I had a lot of Louis jokes this week. I mean, it, I'm not going to not write jokes about it. I'm, it's part of what I do. I had a woman come up to me after. So I got a bit in my act about I have a golden retriever. I had a golden retriever. And um, and I talk about the fact that, like, you know, uh, I go, my, my golden retriever, get up on the bed with me and cuddle. I throw my arm over him. We go to sleep like that. And then it'd be that awkward moment when I'd realize that I'm more into it than he is, you know, and he starts trying to get up and I'm holding him down, you know, it's like this prom night struggle. Yeah. And I go, you got on the bed, you knew what was going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this woman came up to me afterwards and she was like, I enjoyed your show. Um, I was offended by uh, your prom night joke. And I go, Oh, I, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. And she goes, I mean, you got on the bed, you knew what was going to happen. Don't you think in this current climate? And I, and I stop, I go, look, I got to stop you right there. First of all, I'm a comedian. Second of all, we're in a comedy club. And third of all, I'm talking about a fucking dog. 
Uh, you know, like, lady, I I cannot funnel my act through your fucking social justice warrior lens. Uh, if I remove everything from my act that might hurt somebody's feelings or might step on their sacred Indian burial ground, I don't have an act. Oh, I can't. I I will say this. I enjoy uh, much. I much more enjoy the talking to me directly than uh, than posting a blog or, or, or trying to take down my career. i uh, not, not, I mean, I'm not saying that I just say that I'd, I, I don't mind the back and forth. I had one girl say, a jo- say that a joke was offensive one time. And I was like, Oh, I never really saw it that way. And I was like, yeah, that is a little below me. I was like, I, I didn't say thank you. She actually walked out. She berated me and then walked out. Oh, in the middle of the show. I know at the end of the show, but then okay. there's guys that say that, that don't get, they don't get the punchline. And they, like I had one guy just, fucking get up and storm a guy got up and stormed out with his buddy and he just they were too drunk they didn't get it right but i can't uh i i don't do this for the for the few people that might get offended i do this for the masses of people that go i was a good joke i get there was a joke like i didn't i wasn't rude to her i go i go look you're entitled to your opinion like because she was going on and on for a minute and i because after i explain i go it's a dog you know it's a dog and she goes uh well it's just like she started going on i go look you're entitled to your opinion but you're not gonna talk me out of that joke it's a good joke yeah you know what i mean and and like i can't you you gotta leave that shit at the door you know if you come into a comedy club, you know, it's like, you know, I, when I was, when I started out in New York, I was dating a girl and I dated her for, we lived together for like five years. Every comic knew her. She was around forever, you know? Yeah. And like the day we broke up, man, every fucking comic in the world came up to me and went, dude, you mind if I ask her out? Like they couldn't help themselves. Yeah. And I didn't blame, I laughed. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, we're going to make we we're gonna have that gallows humor we're going to make the inappropriate joke and i i'm one of those guys that kind of subscribes to the idea that anything can be funny yeah depending on the way you treat it and you know there's nothing that's like off limits it's there's all, not there's not know, all, well my kids are home what the fuck are my kids doing home oh. um all right we should wrap this up <laughs> when the fuck do my kids get home well what time is it it's uh it's only two two twenty why? What time do they normally get out? Three o'clock. Oh, is it Tuesday? It's early yeah. pickup. Yeah. Um, so you're just touring now? Yeah, I mean, I've been touring, and I, I, uh, um, I don't go out as often as I'd like. I should probably go out a little more. Uh, no one goes out as often as they like, and everyone goes out too often. Like yeah. I'm, I'm out too much, but I'd like to do more, dude. When you're <laughs> like, I've, I tried to. It's like I wanted to talk about this on stage, but you know. When you're married and sober, there is truly nothing to fucking do on the road. You better be into writing Yelp reviews. I mean, it's like, it's just like, I'm like, you know, to be a sober comic at this point, it's like, that's, that's, it's just fucking inspiration that I'm up here. I'm like, I'm like that run. I'm like that Olympic runner with no legs. Like, it's just fucking amazing that I'm out there. I've been dabbling in sobriety on the road and that, and that I don't usually, I try not to 
drink Thursday night. I try, I try not to drink Friday night. Or maybe I'll drink Saturday night or I'll drink Friday and won't drink Saturday. But I just try to like be a little healthier now. Dude, and that's it's just hard. fucking eating well on the road. I've tried to do that. Like I've been on a, eating well on the road. I'm trying to do like a major health kick. I'm right? going through candy bar phase right now. Oh, well, yeah, but you got to. Man. I can't you stop eating on the sugar. Bars. Bro. I can't stop eating candy bars. I'm doing this thing where I'm eating like six, seven times a day. You know what I mean? And I'm oh, I like, do that, too. But they're huge meals. <laughs> Cracker Barrel, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me some yeah. <laughs> no, man, I'm like, I'm, I did, like, I was up this morning, man. I, I got up at four thirty, and at like five fifteen, I was like, I'm as well go to the gym, you know. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run tonight. I'm running a half marathon Sunday, so I'm gonna run tonight, uh, and then I think, I think I may uh, treat myself to half a Xanax this evening. And go to sleep good because I have an early plane flight. Right. And you know what you could try if you if you've cleaned your system out, yes. it might work. What? Um, diphenhydramine. Do you know what this is? Uh, no, but I'm running to GNC now. <laughs> no, listen. This. Diphenhydramine, diphenhydramine is an over-the-counter sleep aid. It is the shit in Benadryl that makes you sleepy. Right. So if you remove the allergy medicine and you just have the diphenhydramine, if you go to like CVS and they have like CVS brand sleep aid, it's 50 milligrams of diphenhydramine. It's, you know, it's diphenhydramine. I found it. Yeah, it, it is non uh, narcotic. It is non habit forming. And if you take two of those, bro, that's a you know, that is I guarantee you two of those will do for you what half a Xanax would. I bet. All right, I gotta get going to CBS. It's, it's, wor it's worth trying it, man. I mean, that's a that's that's like a. So, how much are you touring right now? Uh, I did like I was on the road for like nine of eleven weeks this summer. That's a lot, bro. It is when you have little kids. I did like I shot something for I shot a show for the Food Channel. I did this thing called Halloween Baking Championship because I'm oh, a whore. You can all fucking you I'll, could kill those. I did. You know what I did was last year I did uh, worst cooks. In America, you know, like yeah. they did a celebrity version. Yeah. It was so much fun. Dude, those are always... But like, it was hard as shit, dude. I fucking cut my finger. I had to go to the uh, emergency room. Are you I got serious? stitches. Yeah. I'm trying to look for your tour dates on your on, online. I got nothing, dude. You I got don't nothing have any up? of that shit. Really? I know. I just finished and I got nothing I because I had fucking clean the decks because i thought this game show was gonna go yeah um and of course it didn't go so now oh. i gotta reload but uh um uh, but i'm doing a i got a uh i'm doing a, a benefit for my son's elementary school at uh in the main room at the comedy store on november 30th um and uh are you in town you want to do it uh are you in town on the 30th it's a thursday um it's me you greg fitzsimmons i am in uh sacramento I'm in the Calusa Casino on the first. Oh, so be living large 1st. there. Get yourself a little uh, a little voucher for the restaurant. Oh, have you been to Calusa? No, no, no. But I just did the uh, I did uh, Mohegan Sun last year. I love four them. shows, two alcohol related incidents, one arrest. Oh, nice. That <laughs> sounds like, like the Mohegan anytime Sun. your audience is drinking free alcohol for twelve hours. You oh. know what I mean um uh but uh yeah so i got that um i'm doing that and i got a show coming up uh at radford hall this thing uh this weekend saturday the 8th um but no i gotta reload because i cleared the decks thinking that i was going to be busy doing this game show and then oh, right now is right now it's a good time to reload the deck because it's this is touring season right this is when it's fucking hot right summer is when it sucks dick i'm doing a tour this summer but like a tour like i think a 
five week tour bus tour nine out of 11 weeks was i mean it was i get an idea of what you guys go through because you do far more of the road than i do and that was like you know you come home you're there for 72 hours you do laundry you do dry cleaning you repack and go you're giving me panic right now right that's my that's my this past week and then this week and then right and then at the end of the summer i was like you know i got a four and a six-year-old i'm like you guys i'm sure you remember me from photos i had a i had a fucking knockdown drag out with my daughters where i was like I just wanted them to go to Gelson's with me, and they oh, didn't. Oh, wait, I heard you talk about yeah. this. What were you saying? And I was like, hey, I get it. I fucked up, okay? I was on the road your entire childhood, and we don't have a relationship. But all I'm looking for is a connection when I'm home, because yeah, I, I just like, want to connect every now and then. And then they were yeah. like, I'd like to like, know the story. I you. need this. Yeah. I need this. Didn't you like want to like like watch a movie or something? Yeah. Was it oh, like- yeah. We had to pick a movie, and they were fighting over what movie to watch. And I yeah. was like, can't we just? And uh, they were all like, sorry, Daddy. But I, I, I think I give myself less credit i think i was a better parent than i give myself credit for yeah but i do feel a massive amount of guilt for being on the road as long much as i have dude that cut like i just came home i mean i got back on sunday and and my little four-year-old you know just like hearing daddy and like her running down the hallway and jumping into my arms man that's i went to south africa in uh 2006 and georgia was two and a half almost three and she was sitting at the foot of the stairs, and I woke up that morning, having come in the day before and slept, not seeing her, and I've been gone for a month on tour. And I walked down the stairs, and she said out loud, Daddy, what the fuck are you doing here? (laughs) And I was like, I live here. I was like, wait, what do you mean with a fuck? Wait, hold on. Who's talking like this now? Yeah. Dude, last night. Oh, my kids are here. Oh shit, my kids are here and you're here. Oh yeah, go get oh, them, shit. dude. Hold on. Give me one second. Oh fuck. Georgia, Isla, Leanne! Come here! <laughs> oh fucking really? Come on out here! And you, Leanne, and you! You know, no back respect. In the 50s, they would have been afraid of me. Oh, don't worry about it. We don't need to set up another mic. What's up, Isla? Isla, do you remember a show called Wipeout? Shut <laughs> up. Do you remember? Do you remember the? What, here, sit with me. Leanne. Hi. Hi. How are you? This is John. John, you remember what TV show John's from? You come to motivate us. Georgia, so sweet. Georgia, do you remember? Do you remember a TV show called Wipeout? This is John Henson. Hi, John how was, are you? Get in here. And everyone stop acting so coy. What's going on? You guys are acting like hostage. By the way, it's a hostage is, negotiation. No, this is honestly, this is the kind of reception that I get when I'm in meetings. Yeah. Here comes the motivator. Do you remember that show? Well, I remember Wipeout. You don't, you, don't, you don't remember, remember Isla wh- standing on the arm of the couch going, Here come the motivator. And <laughs> the on the couch, you, know? you don't remember that? Okay, well, I know what we're doing tonight. We're watching episodes of Wipeout. And you're going to go, Oh my God, Dad, that guy was in the man cave? John but was one of the two hosts. The, was, the thing is, I was never on screen, right? Because you're always watching the contestants. So you hear my voice, but I'm only, you know, the green screens. You are on screen short. every now and then. I remember. Every, yeah, I mean, yeah, just, yeah, just at the beginning and ends of blocks. Yeah. But, um, 
but you know most of the time you're just hearing my voice so yeah but so i thought this would be a bigger reception than it is but i get it yeah potato chips story of my life by the way i thought it would have been a bigger reception (laughs) (laughs) one time (laughs) thank you one time we were at a party and the dad from the dad from uh what was the name of that Uh, good luck charlie was there and i and that was their favorite show and i was like i was like hey do you mind if i introduce you to my kids and they were like he was like sure i said george and i want you to meet my friend dot 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 and they were like uh hi and i go so you guys want to say anything and they're like no can we go back and play and they left and i go i'm sorry man i thought it'd be a big reception i go over to george i go hey you didn't know who that was she goes no it's a dad from good luck charlie i go yeah, but that's like your favorite show. She's like, well, was I supposed to freak out or something? I was like, yeah, yeah. TV was a big deal to me when I was a kid. We, uh, we They'd did. be more excited if you ran a Dunkin' Donuts right now, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, because I'd have donuts. Yeah. Um, I uh, I did. We had a, a Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation kid come to the Wipeout set. And um, it was this kid. Uh, this, I, I'm still friends with the family. It was a really kind of powerful experience. This kid was going through uh, brain cancer. And, and, um, and he was a really sweet kid. Um, but he had had surgery and he was, you know, he had no filter now. And oh, yeah. um, so he's just like standing on set and uh, and watching and stuff. And like he's looking around going, that lady's fat, you know. And <laughs> we were like, whoa, you know. And so they're, uh, you know, this is like his big day. This is the one thing that he wanted, you know. And yeah. so they, they're like, uh, hey, bring him down. <laughs> they're like, hey, uh, Gus, this is John Henson. And he just looks at me and goes, John Anderson here, and I was like, "You literally was totally over me, man." It's like his uh, big moment. He's like, "Yeah, where's the other guy?" Oh, oh that's God. so great. Well, I can't wait to watch the watch wipe out with these girls tonight. We watched it every day. When they were we, oh, you guys are every sweet. Day. They loved it. They, she loved it. She, they, yeah. 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 Well, if if you guys go and download every single episode, I'll make about forty cents. So, awesome. yeah. well, let's give you forty cents. Um, dude, I have to thank you for doing this. This has been I had such a blast, a treat. dude. Thanks for having I'm me. I'm so glad. I think we went. I, I apologize for keeping you so long. I think we did about two, three hours almost. Oh my god, two hours. So thank you, man. Dude, I, dude, it was a blast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you get your finally... podcast up and running. Please hit me up. I'd love to do it. Yeah, I will I definitely love to do, do that, it. And man. I'm, man, I'm so excited for the. I I really think the way this media is changing. I think that this is so right up your alley. Yeah, dude. I'm. I, you know, stuff. if you don't mind, I'm going to call you about that because dude, I'm here. Uh, I'm I here. Use, We're seven uh, minutes away. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I live right behind Ventura and Laurel. Um, and and uh, I got uh, a kid in the school down the street, right? Didn't you these did? guys? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not say the name, Leanne. Say yeah, I know. I think I said it yeah. earlier. I'm like, no. Yeah, no. It's awesome. It's fantastic. What name is it? Isla, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Don't say it. All right, all right. Yeah, Isla. Okay, all right. Uh, John, it was great seeing you, man. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Hey. So nice to meet you. Sorry it was so disappointing. Um, <laughs> and uh, congrats on the new pool, guys. Huh? Oh. How about that? I think someone took a dump in it because it's pretty cloudy. I don't, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And by little, the way, yeah. we were a little intimidated because yeah. he's really hot. Who hired the pool guy? I did. Duh. <laughs> Jesus. Duh. Eye candy. Hashtag. I mean, what do you think I do when you go out of town? I just watch the pool guys. That is the gardener. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. All right, John, thank you very much, man. You got it, brother.
This episode was brought to you by The Machine.